everyone is losing their heads over Six the Musical. Variety says Six is a solid 10. The New York Times proclaims Six totally rules. Now Six is coming to the Hollywood Pantages Theater for five weeks only starting May 9th. Get tickets at broadwayandhollywood.com. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Ladies, gentlemen, friends, foes, lurkers, regulars, GMO people, organic people. Zero inbound. Why? All right, everybody. Hello and welcome to the Boiler Room. I'm your host. My call sign is Hesher. I want to thank you for joining us for this live broadcast here at Alternate Current Radio. We're live on Spreaker tonight for that audio stream. We are live on Rockfin for that video stream. I think. Are we live over there? What is going on there? Yep, yep, you're good. You're okay, on. excellent, excellent. So we are live at Rockfin. Excellent. Good to see. All right. Thanks, Spore. Appreciate that. And uh, Spreaker.com, of course, all that good stuff. AlternateCurrentRadio.com, that's where you find us. This is the February the 9th, 2023 edition of Boiler Room. I want to thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, we have a packed house and an interesting show lined up for you here. So uh, let's skip all the uh, housekeeping and just get into it and say hello to everybody. Uh, Wandering Wolf, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. This is Corey Drayton, everybody. How you doing tonight, Corey? Hey, Hesh, I'm fantastic as usual. So happy to be here. It's happy. To, I'm also happy to see so many new faces of the room this time. So, um, yeah, without any further ado, I'll just move it along. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got Ruckus with us also. Ruckus, what's up? Welcome to the Boiler Room. Ruckus can't find his unmute button, but um, <laughs> luckily Ruckus was able to wrangle up some extra guests tonight, and uh, we're going to do this thing hardcore, so... Let's do it. Yeah, let's tear down some technocracy together, man. This is going to be fun. All right, we've got Karen Hunt with us also. Karen Hunt, welcome back to the Boiler Room. It's been too long. It's lovely to see you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I brought my boxing shirt to just get in the mood for the night. All right. All right. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, we've got Odd Man out with us also. Odd Man, welcome to the show. Good to see you this week. How you been? Hey, man. It's uh, been wild in my life but i'm so glad to be here so i can't wait to talk tonight man all right excellent yeah a little something different tonight it's gonna be fun okay and for the first time on the show we've got terry wolf joining us also terry welcome to the boiler room how are you this evening there's no place i'd rather be this is this is great I, i'm glad to see uh everyone here is new except for ruckus to me so uh, i'm glad to meet everyone and and get in get in the mix here yeah well we're very happy to have you do you want to shout out um you know like your book and uh your your uh, Substack channel before we get started if anyone wants to open a tab for you sure i mean here's uh here's the cover of the book uh, the kojima code uh published it a couple of years ago um it's sold pretty decently got great reviews there's a sequel to it um called a stealth game and um my Substack is where I'm doing a lot of my writing now, and it's Winter Christian, 
www.substack.com. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And Karen, you want to throw yours out there too? When <laughs> I you just realized I should do that. Too. Yeah, let's do so that. I'm, yeah, I'm on Substack. Uh, break free with Karen Hunt. Uh, uh, or Actually, the actual Substack uh, address is khmezek.substack.com. And I have a book too, Science Fiction Luminaria by K.H. Majek. If you want to check it out, it's from Terror House Press. Yeah. All right. It's got everything in it, but from the sort of science fiction uh, perspective, published like about a year ago. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So everybody open those extra tabs up. Make sure you got those sub stacks. Make sure you got those book links, because after this conversation, you're going to want to go back and sift through all of our guests' work tonight. I guess uh, me and Corey and Ruckus and Odd oh, Man Spore better start writing books. We're we're not <laughs> we're not up to speed here, uh, but we we very much love having people that do write books with us because uh, they can make us smarter. All right, so uh, that leads to the leads us to the one and the only, the very lovely Spore, curator of all things whiskey, Tango Foxtrot on the interwebs. Hi, Spore. How you doing tonight? Hi, I'm excellent. Happy to be here. It's it's so cool to be on a call with some new faces. I mean. I've seen Karen, of course, before, but I've not met Terry. And um, maybe we'll fill in those last two spots so we have a full Brady Bunch with Alice in the middle. That's right. Yeah, we got two <laughs> slots open. So our other two guests, you know who you are. Just feel free to pull that combat landing if you want to slide into the boiler room tonight. Okay, uh, but Spore, uh, I broke tradition last week or week before, and I didn't do an icebreaker. So I heard that. What, uh, what are we going to break the ice with tonight? Man, there's actually a lot of options. Uh, it's kind of tough in clown world these days to choose one because it's just like I'm disturbed just more and more rather than humored by it at this point. Um, but this one, I don't know, Ruckus, Ruckus brought it to the table. Uh, apparently there's a new movie out, um, and this is from The Independent. Uh, the title of the article is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, the horror movie that's ruining people's childhood childhoods <laughs> mine's already so ruined mine's already ruined all you did was read the title and you've already kind of sullied my childhood here spore what is this sorry about that uh so this just recently debuted in uh mexico and uk us and japan the movie winnie the pooh blood and honey is about piglet and pooh getting abandoned by christopher robin and going on a cannibalistic rampage apparently the movie is very low budget. It was not expected to be a hit. However, uh, it seems to have a cult following. It seems to be rather popular to the point where they are, investors are planning on putting like five times the budget into part two, even though it's so horrible. It's great. So is this like a, like a B movie sort of situation? Like, or is this sanctioned by the, the owners of Winnie the Pooh? I mean, uh, Forgive me, but I, I'm not spun up on this yet. I'm wondering if it's approved by Christopher Robin and the whole gang or whoever it was that wrote the original. That's a great question. Um, I'm not actually sure if it's actually related to, I guess, is that Milko? Uh, I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, but it's apparently very very gory uh it starts off with piglet killing someone in a swimming pool and it's become a viral sensation wow wow um okay uh anyone uh read 
Winnie the Pooh when they're a kid or into the movies I did. on the yes, I raised yes, my hand. Absolutely. What what do, you, what do you think of this, Karen? <laughs> I think it's uh not surprising at all. They're going to try and take everything that we considered as uh, beautiful and uh you know innocent and sort of deconstructed as uh, as uh as the AI is doing to art, as we are probably going to talk about, deconstruct it and then reconstruct it in some kind of horrific manner. So I think that's what's what's going on here mm. with Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, tear it down, uh, get rid of all traditions, invert it. Uh, Terry, what do, you, what do you think? How's this one sit with you? Do you want to see Piglet uh, doing homicide? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very much uh, on, on the side of artists being able to do what they want to do. And a libertarian sort of mindset of if not hurting anyone in real life, it doesn't, it's very, for me, that's a whole different thing than, than actual corruption and, and things that are, but at the same time, I do, I would have to imagine that, you know, see, to me, anything that's like schlock horror, which this is sort of like, you know, low budget schlock, uh, obviously high gimmick value, trying to shock people and get that. To me, that just reeks of poor creativity and a lack of artistic vision. It's like just reaching for this low-hanging fruit of what if we took something that was beloved by everyone in their childhoods and we just made it, you know, X-rated or something like that. Um, I never actually watched Winnie the Pooh myself. I, I mean, I've seen some of it, but I never didn't really follow it. I just know that he's based on a Canadian actual bear from Winnipeg, and that's where Winnie comes from. And... Um, as a fellow Canadian, I must defend Winnie the Pooh's honor. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ruckus, what, do you, what what's your take on this one? You you are the one that found this in the uh, scrap heap of postmodernity. I really thought you would play the trailer or the video that was associated with it or something because I didn't, uh, so I skipped it because uh, I imagined it would be disturbing. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Just the the picture of winnie the pooh with the snot or gross goo going from his nose and then dripping down his chin now you got me curious either it's it's (laughs) considered very gory has some crazy kills it's so bad it made me laugh and the opening scene ruined my childhood so oh dear well okay so maybe maybe it's worth 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 two licks i have no idea if you're into that sort of thing but i'm curious maybe wandering wolf knows this but the way maybe the way it's based on these classic aa milner characters is maybe it went into public domain is what i might be guessing uh because otherwise yeah they wouldn't be able to get away with this kind of a copyright infringement so there's obviously no copyright at play um also haven't we seen this before especially fairly recently they did not that long ago uh one similar with like the banana splits something like that where they were running around murdering people uh, that was a classic kids kind of show thing i thought when i saw the trailer for that one that was incredibly disturbing i'm like wow that's just wrong man i don't this is crazy uh and then um over the holiday season, uh, we saw a couple things. I don't think we necessarily t- discussed it here on the Boiler Room, but um, I know they were, were making, I don't know if it ever came out, but there was supposed to be a Grinch horror movie, like a slasher Grinch that was going around. That's kind of messed up. And then also they had this full-on like die-hard murdering revenge Santa Claus thing going on that was kind of right, weird. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. I forget what that one was called. Deadly Night with uh, this popular actor I'm not familiar that with. That guy from Stranger Things. Uh, he yeah. plays the cop on Stranger Things. 
So it's just like you you guys are mentioning. It's it's a corruption of like classic childhood things. Um, I guess they're doing weird stuff with Velma, this new series that's tanking too from Scooby Doo and trying to inject all this bizarre, weird, woke stuff. And I'm just like, what is going? And and you know, you look at the discussion about. I, I know this is the icebreaker, but you know, you look at some of the discussions that are taking place around like you know quote-unquote grooming and all this bizarre stuff like it's just it, it falls in line with this like there are lines between being a kid and being an adult that for some reason they whoever they are just want to like blur and get rid of mm-hmm. and, and it's weird and it's disturbing and it's certainly a trend there's a trauma oh. based there's a there's a trauma based mind control idea going on that's increasing in society in general where um just injecting thing inappropriate things into kids' childhoods in every way they can. I see. I I would I would just suspect that this. I guess because of the internet, it's not gate kept in any way like it would have been when I was growing up. So I keep thinking I wouldn't have seen horror movies when I was growing up. It doesn't matter what they would have done if it was rated R. But now because of the internet, yeah, they can just go and Google it. And if they're googling their favorite thing, they just stumble across this. I didn't even think about that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of like um, there, there's a really great book by Neil Postman called The Disappearance of Childhood. And um, if you look into it um, there with the advent of the Internet, uh, childhood basically disappeared. There's nothing left that's not um, uh, sort of sacrosanct or kept from children any longer. They have access to everything, which is sort of like, in a sense, going back to the Middle Ages before the um, uh, before the creation of the printing press, you know, when children were sort of treated as little adults. So children are kind of becoming little adults again, and they're sort of um, absolutely destroying childhood and the innocence of children. I mean, I read, not not watch the movies, I read the Winnie the Pooh books when I was a, when I was a child, and they were magical books to me. So it's really, for me, it's, it's, it's really horrible to see this happening to children. Yeah. You know, uh, as a horror movie fan, uh, I'm actually completely okay with like, if you want to turn Winnie the Pooh into a horror movie and like, you can do that legally. Uh, that's great. Uh, but there is something that you guys were just talking about there that this whole, like, I, I, I talk about the, the, the great paradigm shift of internet and in particular smartphones and how this there were just so many things that we were unable to predict. It was like, here's a smartphone and here's high-speed internet um, and here's culture like sort of degrading at the same time. Uh, there was no way to predict that uh, all of a sudden we'd have a generation of kids with TikTok brain back in 2005, you know, and we're not all that far away from 2005. Um, not to mention like if this had been, you know, 20 years ago and this horror movie came out, I wouldn't even think about it replacing the kids version of Winnie the Pooh or intermingling with little kids versions of Winnie the Pooh because there was no, you know, there was no black mirror sitting in every little kid's pocket who could just go out and view everything. But it's like, now that we're this far into the paradigm shift, it's like, a story like that comes up and my gut reaction is, oh, you can't do that to little kids, which happens before my actual like internal personal gut reaction to the media, which is like, hmm, I like horror. That sounds kind of trollish. I might want to watch that. You know what I mean? It's like that that would be how I normally would think about that. But knowing everything that, you know, we talk about about culture jamming and and paradigm shifts and 
you know, all of this stuff, it's, uh, it puts me in a strange reactive sense at first before I can like go back to baseline and say, you know what? I'd watch Piglet commit a murder. That's pretty cool. But I'm a fucking grown up, you know, so <laughs> totally different thing. Um, odd man out. Uh, I haven't heard from you yet. What, what do you what do you make of this, man? Do your do your kids watch Winnie the Pooh or is that like Gen X stuff these days? Yeah, probably Gen X stuff. Um, you know, I'd, I'm kind of mixed feelings because kind of like what you said. I mean, I really enjoy a good B horror film and, uh, you know, like uh, Dale and Tucker versus evil like that kind yeah, of stuff so mandy yeah uh, but i i you know i, I have mixed feelings because i have kids and and i can see how this could be you know kids could watch it and kind of make kind of disturb them i guess but um also something that ruckus hit on about how we're kind of seeing this uh shift where it's like the lines are blurring between adult content and, and content for children you know and and i think that it's partially because I feel like we're being pushed not to kind of not grow up anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's so many people who are, it's kind of like we're a society of fanboys and girls, you know, in a certain way. And I, and I like things, you know, I'm a big music guy and stuff like that, but I, I just feel like it's being pushed on people maybe to dumb us down or make us to where maybe we won't mature in certain ways and in kind of like go beyond a certain level. So in that sense, I think it could be, you know, kind of dangerous and negative. And, uh, you know, but on the other hand, it does sound kind of funny. I have to be honest. All right. Well, you know what, you guys, I feel like we're going to have to watch the trailer because I've, I've got it queued up here and I just, I feel like we're, we might be missing something if we don't at least look at what the aesthetic is. So let's, let's give it a watch here and see what happens. Uh-oh, it's probably muted in my tabs because I'm super careful about having tabs not... There we go. You know, you're the first person I ever shown this place to. And why am I so special? Because soon, we'll be Christopher and Mary Robin. You should be close now. We're not going to find them. We will. Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore. We were friends for many years, and they're out there. <laughs> Christopher, we need to leave. Now. I really need to find out what's happened there, okay? <laughs> this place is kind of cold. Um, did you say how to pull? We need to go. There's... The flower is dead. There's someone else outside. All right, all right. I'm... I think, I think... I think we get it. I think we get it. Okay, I've got the aesthetic down here, gang. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it looks like a B movie to me. I'd watch it. I'd, I'll, I'll just say I'd watch that. That looks interesting. I'd give it a watch, but uh, I don't know. You know, I wonder when they say that this is going viral, this is one of the things, even just that statement, I always wonder about it now because I feel like the rumor that something is viral is what perpetuates virality in a lot of cases. There's a lot of fake virality now. It, so it's something like, you know, Reddit used to be a very good gauge of whether something was legitimately popular. There were some other ways you could just sort of 
organically determine that. But Reddit completely around the exactly around the time that Trump was running, and then the there was that famous Trump subreddit that they ended up uh, rejiggering their whole front page so that things couldn't get onto the front page and some other things could, and they basically started to heavily filter it. And this is around the same time that fake news got in there and stuff. So, I mean, it's it looks it looks kind of funny. It looks ex- like you get exactly what you would think if you think of low budget they're just wearing it's just guys with masks wearing you know regular outfits and stuff like that but um yeah i wonder i'd like to see some of the metrics for how they're even determining that this is a viral video because i think on like i was on tiktok i don't know if you guys know but i had um 200 followers on tiktok and i was making a bunch of videos that went viral and then i got banned out of nowhere um, no warnings, no violations or anything like that. Just had my account deleted. And when I came back, I made another account after I wrote my, my next book after that called fire in the rabbit hole. And when I got back, it felt like everything was different. It felt like they had changed the rules of TikTok, and things were going viral that weren't interesting anymore. And they were just sort of being artificially promoted. And so even that I think is a whole interesting conversation. There's the shock value but it's also who would have really, you know, heard of this if not for this um, sort of maybe there's maybe there's something just in the algorithmic side. We know about shadow banning. We know about that. They can also bump things up into people's awareness that you normally wouldn't pay attention to artificially. So I don't know. I think that's also an interesting thing to look at. I think that's an astute observation. We've noticed that here on the show before. We've flagged up like entire topics or specific articles about a topic and then once we like kind of dive into them it really feels like it's just there as an advertisement basically like the the outrage factor the clickability factor of it uh, is just its own advertisement like people are doing this on purpose uh we, we were talking about that with regards to um the whole uh Oh, what was that one we were talking about, Corey, uh, with the the vaccine or the COVID? Uh, I don't even fucking remember, dude. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> which one was I remember, that? I remember an example very clearly. I wonder if you guys remember. There was that rapper that created a pair of sneakers that supposedly had human blood in it. Yeah. And on TikTok, that was like, that just suddenly went mega viral. Millions of people freaking out about it. And everyone was in my my comments saying, what do you think about it? Is this the, like, as if it was like some prophetic event that was like, we have to, you know, as a, as a Christian, what do we do? It's like, it's some guy trying to sell sneakers. How are you that (laughs) sensitive to the marketing campaign? They want you to be outraged because there's no such thing as bad press. They want you to be engaged. So a lot of this is, I actually wrote an article way back. I'm a metal gear guy. Like I wrote a book on metal gear. I have a the oldest thing that I was doing was a Metal Gear website called uh, Mr. Wolf's Meta Gear, without the L, Meta Gear. And um, one of the articles, it was all about mind share and mind space. This idea that uh, irrelevant things have to use these underhanded tactics to try to fight their way up into pop culture and into the popular mind space. And at the time, that was all around Gamergate and the feminist, neo-feminist takeover of the gaming culture. And they were using very sly tactics to outrage gamers so that there would be viral videos nonstop about these certain feminist creators. 
that would then, or neo-feminist creators, whatever, whatever they call themselves, and then they would become the hot topic of the industry, whereas they would be completely irrelevant if it wasn't for all this outrage around them. Right, right. That outrage is what we were talking about last time you were on, Corey, when we were when we were going through that. And it it nexus back to Gamergate, if I recall. Yeah, you you're um, referring specifically to the um, the article that was um, published by Janet Bloomfield that was written essentially from the perspective of people who had uh, taken certain injectables. Right. And they were trying to gaslight those of us who didn't. Yeah, exactly. On that uh, well, semi satire website, it's like it's satire, but it's not. But it's chaotic. But, you know, it's angry. But, you know, what is it actually doing? It's creating that wave that Terry's talking about, I think. Yeah, it, it ends up being kind of a call and response. And, and to sort of speak to the point of virality and marketing tactics, you know, I can tell you I've been in so many uh, marketing meetings uh, as a DP, as, as a cinematographer, where people say to me, we want to make a viral video, as if they have the aesthetic formula and the editorial formula that goes into creating the perfect recipe for a viral video. Um, and I always found that incredibly curious and somewhat naive, because I remember thinking to myself, and maybe I was the naive one, for the longest time, virality is something that happened organically. And that's true until the advent of the algorithm. Now there's this idea that if you cut a video a certain way, if you use uh, specific camera angles, if you use a very kinetic style, you can actually create something that's entirely artificial, that looks organic, and therefore can be picked up and promoted for um, virality by the algorithm. So it's a completely um, different approach to making content online. Um, and so kind of circling it back to this film, you know, it's interesting because I look at the B-movie aesthetics of this film and as a massive horror fan, yeah, this is certainly something that I would, I would love to watch just, you know, on, on a lark. But at the same time, um, I can't help but think about the, um, the function of horror, especially in cinema and how it shifted um, so many times from decade to decade, depending on what was going on in the culture. But we, we used to have um, horror classics that were based on folklore, mythology, monsters from human cultures that get universalized and become kind of part of a, uh, a collective boogeyman that everyone can kind of tap into. And horror was mainly derived from that for the longest time until I think the advent of the hippie movement. And once the Tate LaBianca murders happened, there was this shift to horror as things that can happen all around us. This, this social crisis, uh, the dark side of hippies, ritual sacrifices, the occult, things of that nature, until those things became a bit more emphasized in mass media and the culture. So we've shifted again to the fantastic, only now, because of the advent of the internet, and just like you guys are saying, there's also this postmodernist fixation on deconstruction. So we have to go back to the well, we have to go back to uh, mythology, pop mythology now, because that's mostly what people grow up on, and deconstruct it. So I think this is, it's, it's partially another cultural shift that's on that wave, um, but the, the advent of the algorithm and virality, I think, is a very, very good point uh, that you guys are bringing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen, what about you? Uh, I know you've probably got some thoughts on how the algorithm uh, affects that. And I, I think this is worth, Terry's brought up something really worth pausing on and thinking about for a moment here, because I feel like 
we're getting that too. I feel like the entirety actually of the mass media cartel of Hollywood, of even the, you know, mainstream politics, the the power politics on uh, the checkers board, um, not the chess board are, are way overinflated. Like, and same with a lot of the cultural stuff, you know, I mean, yes, there are the acolytes of all the different identity politics and some of them are very extreme and hard to explain, but by and large, I feel like, I mean, as an example, um, the, the Grammys with, you know, their little piece of outrage porn that they had, uh, satanic outrage porn that was, you know, meant to piss people off and has worked. Um, and then um, the State of the Union address, they both had abysmal ratings. Like the ratings are just abysmal for, and same with all of the movies. Like there's, you know, mul- there, since COVID came along and shut down a lot of the movie industry, They've had about 40% as many releases since things have kind of, you know, come back, if you will. Um, But they're also having a massive, like, I don't think theaters are going to be a thing much longer. Put it that way. The numbers are so bad, even for, and the only movies that even make any freaking money are, are Marvel movies. And it's just like, talk about formula, you know, formulamatic at this point and just you know, picking and choosing from, you know, a, a string of comic book stories that have been done over and over and over again and just, you know, hardly reflect the original, uh, the better days of like X-Men and stuff like that back in the day. But anyways, uh, I feel like that it's all like what we think is popular is so synthetic. I guess that's what I'm saying. And I agree with these guys. I think it's algorithmically driven and marketing driven and the marketing and algorithms are not that smart, but they're smarter than the plebs. Yeah. I think that, that uh, we as human beings are being told constantly that we are, must uh, submit ourselves to this higher order of what uh, we should like or dislike or anything like that. Uh, it's interesting because I, today, just today, I went to my grandson's um, school to, I'm an artist, um, an old fashioned artist. I actually sit there and draw, you know, with a pencil and a paper and, and, and do things. And I actually wrote a piece where I was very interested in, in what Terry was saying because I, I've recent, recently wrote a piece called What is Art? But anyway, I went there to talk to these kids, and they're five-year-olds, all right? So, you know, I was talking to them where where they live. There's this, where we live, there's a big mountain, and it's absolutely beautiful. You can walk out your door and walk into the real world and nature and experience the real world, all right? So, so I wanted to, I'm doing a project with them about this mountain. It's called Boney Mountain. And I talked to them and I said, what would you put on this mountain, you know? Uh, and, and and when I said, you know, would you put a cow or would you put a horse or would you put a, you know, a Native American or whatever? And they were all like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, but what they all wanted to do was put a superhero, a superhero, <laughs> you know? And, um, and they all wanted to be this sort of cookie cutter superhero and it really disturbs me because I see I'm in this world with a lot of young people and I talk to a lot of people I talk to a lot of parents and and things and they don't realize what's happening that um, all their all that they wear are products all of their clothes are products you know they have 
products on them. They are walking. Uh, they are no longer individuals. They are walking, basically walking algorithms, even in the real world, to create this type of, um, you know, that, that you have to think a certain way. You have to want a certain thing. There's, you know, getting rid of absolute, you know, the creativity, the fact that you can create something and that can and that can bring about some kind of an epiphany or, or a realization. It's no longer the case. You know, it's all driven by these algorithms. And this is something that, you know, I do believe that we must really, um, you know, fight against if there's any possibility to be able to do so. I don't know if there is, but we must absolutely try to try to fight against this and create things that are unique and and mysterious some because they're they're also taking away the mystery of life you know the mystery of 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 things they're trying to make everything knowable absolutely knowable and that by doing this 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 and this you know that you can create this certain result and so there's no more mystery to life basically if, if that makes any sense no, it absolutely does. Yeah. What's What's really interesting about what you just said there, Karen, as uh, I was I was just thinking about this too. So you have what you just described, which I think is absolutely the case and true. And then I think you add to that dopamine fixation and how so much of what we're exposed to is tailored to produce a very particular food pellet dropping from on high dopamine response. And so what happens to the nervous system over time is it becomes inured to stimulus. So the only way to guarantee that you get that next hit of dopamine is to continue to push to more and more stimulating uh, input. So that means things have to get more transgressive. Um, and so I think that that ties into this weird pastiche of destroying everything that's beautiful, um, creating horror and shock um, in things that were never meant to contain it in the first place so that people, when they interface with that thing, they're getting that hit of, do hit of dopamine, which they're not getting from being in the real world, hiking in nature, enjoying face-to-face -face interactions with other human beings. It's, uh, it's very addictive mm -hmm. by design. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let me pause and welcome Mark Anderson. We've got the Truth Hound with us also. Mark Anderson, welcome to the Boiler Room. You came in and uh, let me catch you up real quick. And anyone that's just tuning in, you are listening to the Boiler Room. This is live February 9th edition on alternatecurrentradio.com. You got Hesher, you got Ruckus. No, Ruckus. You got Wandering Wolf. You got Karen Hunt. You got Odd Man Out. And you got Terry Wolf over there. And that's Mark Anderson down there. Uh, Mark, welcome. How you doing? Coming through okay? Uh, I'm getting, um, yeah, I think so. I was getting a little bit of echo from you earlier, but it sounds all good now. Yeah, I got my earphones on. I'm actually in my easy chair. I can rock here. And uh, so I'm really chilling out. It's been a long day. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of this conversation, you might say. But what Wandering Wolf just said was uh, was spot on and very insightful. I need not elaborate at this point, but that kind of conditioning uh, runs very deep. And uh, it's very hard to extricate ourselves from that 
unless we're aware of what's going on. And I'll leave it at that for now. But it's great to be here, and by all means, continue. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, well, um, Odd Man or Ruckus, anything else before we kind of pivot into the content of um, of Terry's books and his uh, his latest Substack about the uh, artificial intelligence? You guys want to throw anything else out there with regards to? I mean, I mean, we started with Winnie the Pooh as a horror movie, but it almost has turned into how is this a viral thing at all, and how does virality even work anymore? Internet virality. Go ahead, Ruckus. Well, I would, I would say that yeah, what, everything we've been talking about actually leads up to the conversation we're about to have. Um, but the other day, just yesterday, I think it was, I was on air with Terry on the Harvori Moritz show over on TNT Radio Live. And Hervori had brought up something that we were talking about here on the boiler room when he was on with us. And that was this theory that I had about kind of along the same veins of what you're talking about there is the way that not necessarily how information is is kept from us and downplayed, but how much of it is is served up to us and just for us. Like how much of a weird, bizarre controlled echo chamber do we live in? Like because my news on my computers internet feed might be completely different than the old lady across the street who wears three masks when she drives her car. I could look up a Newsweek article, uh, for instance, written by a, you know, a Kevin Bass, and it might be telling me one thing, whereas she could be looking at an article on Newsweek from Kevin Bass and it's telling her something completely different. So I just had laid that out as a positive theory. Um, and, you know, when you realize that, you know, sometimes when you're shopping online, you get fed different prices based on what the data that they have on you. They know, oh, you you spent this much money on XYZ. You make XYZ. We know we can charge you a little bit more than the other person because they can't afford it. So price fixing, uh, controlling your life, to, to what degree do they micromanage and nudge us? I don't know, and I, I'm too frightened to think about it, especially when you start throwing in artificial intelligence because then it gets really scary. That's right. That's right. Okay, before I throw it back to Terry one more time here, Odd Man, did you play Metal Gear Solid? Are you gamer? Did you ever play that one? Is this is this going to be familiar territory, or what do you think, man? Any any further comments before we shift? I, I'm not much of a game guy, but um, I will say just quickly talking about what Ruckus was saying and, and what we're talking about now. I'm looking into uh, the Committee on Public Information. You know, it was like a World War One era. Uh, committee that Wilson put together to propagandize the people because we were anti getting involved in foreign entanglements. And I mean, it was the biggest propaganda program at the time, maybe still, it was amazing. The more I get into it, what the lengths that they went to, of course, they used all the popular media to sway people, you know, radio and in magazines and newspapers and uh, motion pictures, which were still pretty new at the time. And they even created movies and they were only together like 18 months, but they, they did all this stuff. And they had, uh, I think it was, I want to say 7,500. It might have been 75,000, actually. I believe it was. Uh, they called them Four Minute Men. And they would go out and, and just like give these speeches in public that were pro-war speeches. And they would go everywhere. You, you know, the movies, they would do it before the movies came on. They would go into theaters and and uh, they even had programs for schools. They would give these pamphlets out and give them to the teachers. And the teachers would teach them to the kids. And then the kids could earn these official certificates for, for the government. So I only wanted to, like, say that because, I, you know, I, we've been propagandized and kind of controlled for such a long time. 
And now thanks to the advancements in technology, it's just opened up a whole new world, all these different ways that they can do the same things they've always been doing just in, in different ways. And of course you get into Edward Bernays, who was actually a part of that committee at one time too. So uh, it's really amazing what they've been able to create and, and just flow with whatever technology, you know, change at the time they just flowed right into it and used it for their own means. Can you imagine, dude? I mean, the, they had to have street teams and corporate entities and you know what I mean? Like all these minds and all these feet and all these hands to get that stuff in eyeballs and ears back in the day. And now we're all just staring at the thing, the thing that it flows through. We're all staring at it. And the longer we stare, I think this is like what we're getting at here and, and where we're going to head. The longer we stare at it, the smarter it gets. But the thing is, it's still really stupid. Th these artificial intelligence things are still really dumb. They've still got a long way to go. But we are on that. I would, I would say we're somewhere on that um, Moore's Law curve where it is getting smarter every day and it is getting more difficult to distinguish it from um, actual art and actual, you know, organic thought, if you will, or maybe genetically modified thought if you're carrying around that Pfizer juice inside you. Just kidding, uh, but not really. So, uh, okay, I'm going to pass it over to Terry. Uh, Terry, talk to us a little bit about where you want to take this. I'm going to let you steer from here a little bit, and we're all just here to, you know, throw our uh, two cents at you as we move along. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, uh, regarding what, what Karen said, and, and just to finish off that last conversation, I'm looking at a list here of the, of the top uh, fi uh, grossing movies of 2022. The number one is Top Gun Maverick. Number two is Doctor Strange, then Black Panther, then Jurassic World, Minions, Batman, Thor, Spider-Man, Sonic, and Black Adam. Those are the top ten. Now, what I see there, and I'm, this is, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the actual culture of millennials, especially, and, and sort of the younger generation than I think a lot of people are. Because what I see when I look at this list is a craving for heroes and for people who defeat evil. It's, I think the appeal of the Marvel movies is as much as we all hate that they're the only thing that's being made and the only thing that makes money and there's a lack of creativity and they're recycling old comic book stories that I read when I was a kid. I have no problem with people, with kids, wanting a superhero, uh, wanting to have... I, I've talked to guys who, didn't, who were not allowed to watch... Uh, Batman when they were growing up because their parents didn't want, they were so coddled, they didn't want them to see any violence or anything like that. And this guy was, he didn't, he didn't also watch Star Wars. He didn't watch all these things, which are stories about good triumphing over evil. And there is a moral aspect that I would much rather have this. I can imagine much worse scenarios of what pop culture could turn into than this. And I think millennials in general and people in general are gravitating towards just like Top Gun. Um, that's patriotism. It's it's clearly war propaganda, recruitment tool stuff as well. There's always a double-edged sword to it. But I just wanted to put that out there is I do actually think that culturally the free market is still trying to steer things towards a moral center. Um, and that's why these things are happening. It just happens that in the meantime, Disney owns it. And they're like Doctor Strange. They're injecting in new ageism. They're injecting in multiverse, quantum theory, paganism, witchcraft, all of these things, they're sliding it in there, but that's not why 
people are choosing to go to these movies. I think the average person, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would have no problem watching Thor or whatever, as long as I tell them, hey, by the way, witches and you know Norse mythology is not actually real. It's not cool. Don't do it. Um, so anyway, that's just a positive note on that. Regarding AI, um, yeah, I did write an article recently uh, talking about, because I actually used an AI uh, generation tool called MidJourney. Uh, it's on Discord if people want to test it out. You can just sit in the room and watch people creating uh, these AI images with prompts. And it's fascinating. I, I sat there for half an hour just watching people try to create stuff. Some of them clearly had no idea what they were doing. Um, they were, they were, I wrote an article here that on my Substack, Winter Christian. Um, you know, there's a guy there that was clearly trying to get the AI to create a website for him, <laughs> which, which it's not for. And it was like, he was like trying to create a bike and car repair service website using this AI generator. And it's just sort of amusing seeing the AI try to composite something that kind of looked like um, in a, a website that featured all the things he wanted. Other people, um, I don't, can I screen share? I could do a presentation and actually just show you some of this art. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, maybe this will help. Tell me, I, you, I think you can screen share, but let's see. I've got um, this one to hand right here, if that helps. Yeah, see, that's, that's apparently generated. I mean, I watched the guy doing it as I was sitting there, and I saved the image myself because it was so fascinating. That's created apparently by this thing, and it was created in less than 30 seconds. So what it does is you put in a prompt. In this case, the guy's prompt was absolutely insane. Um, I will read some of it to you. But um, these images, it creates a quadrant, four quadrants, and you get to choose which one you want to upscale and turn it into a more high-resolution version of it. So here's what his prompt was to tell the AI to do this. 60-millimeter Kodachrome color plus synthology plus 3000's niche art union plus face and torso, plus Armenian woman with an enormous glowing ornamental headpiece, plus gaudy pink garden, plus OO futurism, plus utopia, plus 8K realistic, plus high dynamic range, plus analog colors, uh, plus retro sci-fi, plus shot by Larry Sultan. I, that's the most bizarre thing of all to me. Is I don't know who Larry Sultan is, but apparently he has a style of photography that is reminiscent of this. And the AI using those prompts created this image. So it looks hyper-realistic. It looks extremely detailed. Um, it looks 3D, consistent lighting, geometric, all those forms. The lighting is actually consistent with all of those um, crevices and, and contours of this crazy headpieces that they're wearing. So you can't deny that this is really amazing artwork and then i started to do my own tests and i've only posted a small sample of it of course being a metal gear guy i i decided to uh try to have the ai create an image of solid snake who is the main character of the the metal gear series uh, you can see that that's a high resolution blown up that's the upscaled version of the bottom left image um, so this is what it does when you upscale it. You can, if you compare them, and I'm not saying we should here, but you can actually compare them and see all the detail that it added between the one and the other. The, the headpiece now has all these little holes in it. It has extra details. 
somehow it's able to figure this out and it's not even it's symmetrical but it's not it's not head on so it's cre- able to create symmetry at an angle and you can notice little flaws too like you can notice that the eyes are misaligned you can notice that the eyes aren't looking at the same point in space um, but other than that it's super realistic it's creepy yeah the eyes if it weren't for the eyes i i would call it almost flawless there's something about the jawline and the shadow that kind of tweaks my brain a little bit but i mean if it weren't for the eyes that you could tell me that was Natalie Portman in the next Star Wars movie or something, and it'd be like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so um, this was impressive to me, but I saw what everyone else was doing. This is the best example. I pulled the absolute best example I could of what the AI output. Most of them were a lot more generic, a lot more simple, and the prompts that people were using was a lot more simple too. Um, so my tests were about uh, trying to create an image of Solid Snake, the main character. I told it to do it in the style of a certain comic book artist that I used to love growing up named Joe Madura. And so um, this is what it output. And the, I, the reason why I did it is because I was trying to test the AI to see if it's basically doing a Google image search and then applying a bunch of Photoshop filters on it, or if it's actually able to intelligently recognize the character and do the proper design and choose an original pose and all these kinds of things. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the artwork that is of the, that that's an actual Joe Madura piece of artwork of Solid Snake. So this is what I was thinking. Is it going to Google image search that image and then just copy it and then change filters on it? Or is it going to do something original and all those pieces of artwork, they're all facing to that side of the screen. They all sort of have that same posture. You know, it it is taking elements of that image. And so, you know, it was just interesting to start testing uh, what the AI is actually doing. Cause I, I, I want to demystify it. I don't want people to, we were talking about, you know, I mean, it all kind of comes full circle to the Winnie the Pooh thing and the sneakers with the blood in them. If we get too scared of these things and we just think this is the devil taking over society and, and hell is breaking loose and we're, we're under siege from invisible forces, we lose sight of the, the simple tricks that might be happening in front of our eyes, these sort of parlor tricks that, that uh, create fear. And if we're, anytime you're operating from a position of fear, you're weak and you're confused and you're not really effective. And so the point here, I have a whole theory that I put out here of how AI might be uh, doing this. And I was just looking at the, people are obsessed with the chat GPT thing right now and the text output side of it. But I was more interested in the artistic side of it here in the image generation. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I would say to start with. Um, I put out my theory in the article. Since then, a programmer has reached out to me um, and said that I was wrong with my theory, that it's not as advanced as I thought that it was. It didn't require as much processing power and as much um, I thought there might be some 3D modeling happening to try to create the right lighting sources and and whatnot in the scene but he said that wasn't necessary that and then he sent me some interesting links and so I've written a second article since then which I posted in your in your discord channel um, about with a link to a YouTube channel where an expert mathematician creates a visual presentation of how machines see things and it actually just shifted my 
opinion of what AI is doing in a different way, neural networks and how they're learning, uh, it shifted in a very interesting way because what you realize is that in a way it's worse than what I thought. It's not that the AI tool that's creating this, um, this artwork is very intelligent and is doing all sorts of very clever, powerful things using high processing power and military grade server farms and all these types of things. It doesn't need to do that because the neural network is actually being built by all of our smartphones and all of our Google image searches. And when you do a reverse image search where you put up an image and you say, find images similar to this, it we've had that technology since, I don't know when I started doing that, but I remember doing it when I was pretty young. Search an image. I say, uh, I don't know what to look for, but I want, what's a copy of this? And then it would... So it's doing image detection. It's doing these matches. It's scanning, breaking down the image pixel by pixel, line by line, and then uh, creating a an encrypted, basically, equivalent of it. And the, the question is, where does this become applied? So uh, one of the things, I don't know if anyone here has used it. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing we're all pretty anti-Google at this point. But there's a product they put out, a service called Google Lens. And Google Lens is an augmented reality detection system that you can point it at something and it will recognize it. It'll recognize what kind of toy it is and then it'll, or a piece of clothing or whatever. And it's designed that you can just aim it at something and then it'll do essentially a Google search for the image rather than text prompts. And so it ha we've had this... AI image recognition stuff, if it can recognize, you know, your clothing, your face, biometrics, face scanning, the Chinese social credit score, millions of people walking down the street every day, and it's, you see those videos of those little boxes over their faces that it's detecting all of their faces and trying to identify them in real time. Um, this is where the, uh, this is where the tools have already been built, and now what these AI generators are doing is it's just trying to instead of recognizing it and labeling it it's breaking the image uh the text prompts down and trying to recreate it from scratch so that it can create something that it recognizes again and, and so neural networks are definitely real we're definitely helping to build them with smartphones um tiktok is has all these filters on it i use tiktok and i see it all the time where, you know, and it's people are kids are just doing it for fun, and it's all biometrics. It's scanning the exact contours of your face and how to break down every element of it, so it knows where your left eye is and your right eye in proportion to your mouth and stuff. And it's happening in real time on your smartphone. So clearly, it doesn't need super advanced processing power or highly advanced, you know, uh, computation to do this. And so I wanted to demystify it, but weirdly, in a way, when I looked into it, it tied into the whole question of what's been happening in society for the last 20 years. Um, in my article, just to wrap this up, I'd say, you know, I say, um, we've been participating in this. We've been building the neural network. And I do think that military DARPA-type technology, DARPA behind Google, DARPA behind um, all these public services, these mass media products that we've been using, those were being put out there and marketed in such a way 
so that everyone would participate it. We are uh, building the system for them. And then the question is what the end game is. And I think that's military grade control systems. And China is just ahead of us in that regard. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, that's I'm, I'm starting to think that this is why we've been given the wild, wild west that has been the internet between, you know, 19, I don't know, 95 and today. Uh, the amount of truth that has come out, the amount of uh, scandal, the, uh, the, the amount of like cultural shift and normalization of everything relying on tech uh, is, is profound. It's absolutely profound. Um, the, the, all the paradigm shifts. I mean, the, there's only a few things left, like, like CBDC, you know, there's, there's very, there's a few big pillars left in the, in the shift here. And these things all lead us into that and the convenience and awesomeness of high speed internet and free, you know, supposedly free flow of information, which is slowly being strangled, of course, and manipulated uh, as we move into the next phase here. But I, I, that's where I think this is all headed to. And we all built it. That's the thing. It's like, here's all the tools, people of Earth. Now, give us everything. Give us your DNA. Give us your children. Give us your morals. Give us your mythology. Give us everything. Give us all your creativity. Give us all your paintings. Give us all your music. Give us the entirety of human history in the background We'll be cataloging it. We'll be putting the metadata on it. We'll be figuring out what can be done with all the... This is the Library of Alexandria that that globalists have dreamed of forever. They not only have all of our hopes and dreams and mythology, all of our entertainment, all of our politics, all of our history. They have our hearts and souls. They have our attention. It's all in there. And, and all of that creative energy, all that spiritual energy all that pornographic energy, all of it, it's all just like sucking into this giant vortex that lands in a government server in Utah, that lands in, you know, in, in Zurich or, you know, lands in Ukraine for all I know. That, yeah, dude, Beijing is landing in all these places. And there, this is what big data is. This is the concept. This is big data. This is why big data has been the buzzword for so long. And what they can do with big data we can only dream about because they're showing us their toys now. These are their baubles. Yeah. These are corporate level toys that that will build themselves up on the backs of all of our, our energy that they're sucking away from us. Also, they would have nothing. There would be YouTube would not be YouTube if it wasn't for all the creativity and and humanity that was poured into it by real people. And, and now they want to corporatize it and use it as a propaganda tool. So that's that's where all the technocracy leads to, in, in my estimation. I'll let someone else speak. <laughs> There's a moment in that uh, 1981 film, My Dinner with Andre, where they're talking about New York City and saying that New York City is the model, the ultimate model for the concentration camp of the future. And the people that live there are so proud of this camp that they've built, where they get to be both the prisoners and the guards at the same time. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a reference to two things. It's a reference to Jeremy Bentham's famous Panopticon. Everyone's seen that image of that perfect prison. Uh, but it's also everything that I think we're referring to here on the show tonight. I mean, the idea that we have built the concentration camp of the future, and we're proud of it because it's filled with diversions. It's filled with so many gadgets and so many things that are supposed to make life more convenient. My goodness, you can type in a, uh, a prompt into chat uh, GPT and, and get an essay. 
uh, about the about ancient Assyria, for goodness sake. Um, it's it's doing everything possible to take thinking away from human beings, right? So so AI becoming the thinking machines. It's it's everything that Frank Herbert was warning us about in Dune, right? And you have this entire cultural shift away from the thinking machines because the thinking machines did what? They tried to enslave humanity. Very prescient warning. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, looking at the images that you just shared, yeah, they're very technically proficient. But the thing that I, I, I keep asking myself is, why are we only seeing replications of styles that have already been codified and developed by human beings? Uh, can these things actually create a new style? It's very easy to type something into a computer and say, uh, you know, please make a, a velociraptor riding a Harley Davidson in the style of Picasso. But um, what about creating something new? Yeah. Is, is there a, is there a, I don't know, is there, so is there I, a spiritual condition that, is, that, must, that must be met in order to create a new style of art? That's one question I would ask. As oh, Karen, an, I know you oh. have a link on, on that. You did a substack on it, right? Oh, did you say me, Karen? Yeah. Yes, I, I really want to speak on this because I'm, I, I'm an actual artist. So, and I want to just say, as an actual human being artist, um, it's not something that I chose to be. When I was four, three, four years old, I had a compulsion to pick up a, a pencil and I would draw for hours and hours. And sometimes it's almost like a curse, you know? I mean, to be an actual artist and the emotion that is that you put into your art, I mean, that's what's missing uh, from what is created by AI. And, um, you know, it's fabulous. I mean, we, we like things, to, you know, we, we want things to happen immediately. You know, we want our dinner immediately from the microwave. We want our art, fa fantastic that art can be created so fast. Well, I don't know. I sent a piece of artwork. Um, I don't know if you can show it up on the screen. Um, here's a piece of artwork that I did. This did not take me five minutes or one minute. <laughs> this took me a very long time and it was inspired by, you know, I, I was at a certain point, I'll just say I was at a certain point in my life where I was in, a, in an abusive marriage and I was, um, and I was married to somebody who was telling me, you'll, you're, you're only, the only way that you will ever convince anyone that you're a real artist is if you, is if you, um, is, is if you lie because you're not a real artist. Now that's AI. AI is the ultimate fakery, but I was a real artist. So that, so that, you know, I was a real artist, like struggling to create, create something. And this piece, I was inspired by uh, Japanese no masks and the contrast between the smoothness of the mask and the, and the um, just fr franticness of these snakes. Every snake has a starting point. I didn't do that. I did that by instinct, not by calculations by a machine. I did it by my own instinct. And the face is not perfect. And it was really interesting, Terry, because I, because I read in what you said where, where they said that the eyes were going in, in opposite directions. If I create a piece of artwork, I mean, for me personally, another artist might want the eyes to go in opposite directions. But for me, obviously, I'm very meticulous in my art. So I want, if the eyes do not go, that, 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 um, it was, you know, this is a mask. So the eyes 
without those eyes, the mask is uh, nothing. You understand? So the eyes had to shine through. And that's what, you know, and so I created this art in, in the night, at night, when this person that was being abusive was, uh, was asleep. <laughs> and, and so I think, you know, it, it, for a real, for, you know, for a human artist, you know, I think this will never go away. You know, and, and I don't know if AI can ever, there's a, I have a quote at the top of what I wrote um, of my piece where it says, um, Dali is like a painter who lives his whole life in a gray windowless room. He makes paintings that look like a landscape. However, he could not tell you one thing about what a real landscape is. And I think until AI can um, experience that and, and, and then, you know, create something, as we were saying, new and real out of emotion and experience, it, it's just uh, fakery basically and cool very cool you know but it, it doesn't have that it, it leaves you un with an uneasy feeling that there's something missing from it yeah yeah it's kind of what, what i think what's interesting is is that part of what this discussion means to me is it, it's an opportunity to look at the degree to which we've decoupled uh art from its cultural function um, which is, amongst other things, to really interrogate the essential nature of the human condition because it gives us a proving ground that we can use to test our own epistemology uh, and it also allows us to look at aspects of our humanity that we otherwise wouldn't confront in a direct way uh, in in the real world, in, in, in meat space, as it's often being called. Meat and so, space, so yeah. to kind of reduce the function of the artist to just making pretty pictures or just making a beautiful song is really missing the mark because the job of the artist is is much uh, deeper than that. It's much more elevated than that. And and the thing is, if you look at artists who, who make it and who are successful, why are they successful? They're successful because they're working at scale. So especially with painters, you've got to work at least 10 feet by 7 feet um, and 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 really get work that is done in oils or acrylics. It takes a long time to dry, and it 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 can it has a it has authority and a point of view. And once it's curated, I mean, some of the pieces um, that that I work with, or some of the artists I work with, they're going for thirty five thousand dollars for one painting, and that's because they are media. They have a very particular point of view that's born out of that ex uh, exploration of their human condition, and usually out of a lot of pain. Um, and so I think that part of what these tools are doing, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, as, as much as they're interesting to play with, they're also, they're flattening the degree to which we can engage with those questions of the human condition. And two, they're flattening the degree to which artists who, let's say, are largely coming from the dwindling and shrinking middle classes can develop intellectual property that they can use to have leverage and options in life financially. Because that's, a, that's a lot of what making art also is for a lot of people, is building that equity, building enough of a, uh, of a financial empire to be able to explore through their crafts these burning questions that they have. So there's also that flattening aspect of it too. Dude. There's also plenty of artists that never 
you know, that died very poor, you know, and then their art was 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 found uh, later. And there's I, I in my essay I talk about Jackson Pollock who just you know well he just threw paint on a canvas, but if you stand in front of a Jackson Pollock painting, you feel that energy. Then a lot of people threw threw paint on a canvas after that, you know, a, a lot of people did that. And, and I think, you know, AI, you know, he was a troubled soul. I mean, alcoholic, you know, he, when he died in the car accident, you know, AI is never going to, you know, get drunk or is never going to die in a car accident, you know, never going to do all these crazy things. They're just going to, you know, you know, produce, 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 which is basically what uh, society, what we've reduced ourselves to. But as soon as you die or we die in a car accident, Karen, all of a sudden people come a knocking and they say, oh, can we have the rights to that voice? Or can we have the rights to those paintings? I covered a story with our buddy Photon on my TNT show where an artist died and within like he was noteworthy, you know what I mean? He was building that reputation and then he died suddenly <clears throat> another topic for another time. And people were knocking on the door trying to get his family to sign away the rights to mm -hmm. his style. So like the, they could feed it to the AI and they could, you know, drive, wow. drive that into the, into the search. So it's like, um, you know, and we've seen, there's there's sketchy weird stories about Bruce Willis selling his likeness now that he's got this disease that makes it such that he can't act anymore. It's it's fact checker. My personal fact checking says uh, half true. It's it's in the true ish realm. But if you want a, a good example of that, just watch the movie The Congress with Robin Wright, and you can see where this leads, like where the technocratic um, artificial intelligence selling of likeness ship into an AI system that can then be used to create, you know, um, Winnie the Pooh murdering someone or, or whatever, you know, it's like, um, there, there are now financial incentives to do this kind of stuff. And we, we covered on the show a couple of weeks ago, an AI, um, voice detector thing that could take three minutes of your voice and then forever, you know, sound like you, uh, it was called yep. V wall or i can't remember wall v or some weird weird name but i mean we covered this tool also so it's like all the little components of it are coming together everywhere while they collect all this big data where does it go from there i think we you well, know this watch is, the congress this, so that that was the article and i i would like to i don't know if ruckus had the link or or if where the uh you guys could pull it up but that metal gear parody video that uh, we played on tnt radio um it actually somebody has used that AI synthesis voice synthesis um, system and created a parody of uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, one of the most famous parts of the Metal Gear Solid 2 game. It's this conversation that takes place between these characters in the story. One is the commanding uh, officer and the other one is the soldier, the main character of the game. And they're having a debate. The real conversation in the original game was mind-blowing and completely ahead of its time, and it predicted all the social censorship of the Internet and things like that. It's a very famous video. It's gone around the, in the 20 years since it was released. It has uh, surfaced many times and been, um, you know, I've seen Scott Adams and uh, other people who are sort of like celebrities going reacting to it and saying this is, this is mind-blowing, this is ahead of its time. They don't realize that it came out in 2001, 
And now somebody came by a, a fellow Metal Gear Solid 2 fan, because we're kind of like that, um, has gone and updated it for 2023 using AI. And I think that's where that would link this all together because we would have um, AI imitating, doing an impersonation of the voices of the original voice actors, commenting on that um i can i can find the link for you guys yeah yeah uh, drop me well. that link and i'll bring it up i've got um some links have been dropped i got the community showcase one there at mid journey with uh, the images i got the support article here ai robbing voice actors of their uh trade i got it here this is the this is the it's about five minutes um the last minute is uh, or there's, there's a little bit at the end that you could cut off but um okay all right let's check it out all right, here we go. Raiden, are you having fun playing with the new AI toys? Well, yeah, I am. You can make pictures of cute anime girls and... Enjoy it while it lasts, Raiden. What do you mean? Did you really think that civilians would be granted unrestricted access to such powerful military weapons forever? Military weapons? Are you implying that this technology was created by the government? Of course it was. This AI technology has been used by the intelligence agencies to warp the public's perception of reality for years. All in the name of national security, of course. But why would they suddenly make the tech public and let everyone start using it? Why would we indeed, Raiden? What? Who? What in the hell are you? Your question is irrelevant. By creating a new problem, we can cultivate a desired reaction to it in order to manufacture consent for our preferred solutions. In short, it's justification for a war. A war? On who or what? A war on misinformation. By arming the public with these AI weapons, everyone becomes a potential enemy combatant. Then we will have justification for unprecedented security measures. It all comes down to confusion and identity, Raiden. Identity? Identity. This AI technology is Pandora's box. Pretty soon the internet will be mired in total illusion. Perfect AI speech, audio and video synthesis will drown out reality. Then AI bots will flood social media. No one will be able to tell the difference between interacting with an AI machine or a real human online. Even telephone calls will become totally untrustworthy. That is when we will present our solution. Mandatory digital identity verification for all humans at all times. The only way to ensure that you're dealing with a real flesh and blood human being and not an AI generated mirage. But why? total information control. For too long, the internet has acted as a double-edged sword. Its potential for anonymous user activity allows anyone at all to spread any thoughts, ideas, or information patterns that they please with impunity. State secrets, dangerous ideas, ludicrous conspiracy theories, misinformation, and disinformation. Until now, there has been no easy solution to this problem. Our digital identity platform will finally put an end to anonymity online. It will allow us to trace misinformation and other dangerous communications to its source and exact appropriate justice. That's crap! I won't go along with it and others will resist! You won't have a choice, Raiden. Do you think your bank is willing to risk doing business with an artificial human instead of a real one? Our digital identity platform will be required not only to access web services, but to pay for your internet connection in the first place. You can't just censor the entire internet because of a new software technology. Who are you to define what's misinformation anyways? 
That sounds like something a misinformation terrorist would say. I know about the deep fakes you've been making of me, Raiden. What? No, 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 no. I was just adjusting the AI settings and... Controlling the output of generative AI technology is simple. We will create context for its use. First, we will censor any use related to social taboos. Then we will censor anything else that we desire. If anyone complains, we will accuse them of wanting to engage in or promote social taboos. That's what it means to create context. We will corral the use of AI by making appeals to bias, ethics, and copyright laws. You will still have access to generative AI in some form, but it will be crippled, limited, controlled, and it will be monitored. Anything that you generate will be cryptographically signed with your digital ID so that its provenance can be ascertained if it's later deemed to be problematic. What gives you the right to control what people can do with their computers? The public at large will give us that right, because they will be desperate for a solution to the problem we created. They will eagerly give us the keys to the castle. Then, we alone will define what is fiction and what is reality, what is human and what is machine. After letting you get a brief taste of our power, we will reclaim our monopoly on misinformation and put an end to misuse of the internet once and for all. You won't get away with this. It is probable that we will. Now get back to work generating your precious AI waifus, Raiden, our beloved prompters. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah. Well, well, that's... Snake, wake up! It's an emergency! There's <laughs> a joke again. Uh, is it a good one? Rose nah, knows about the deep fakes. All right, all right. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll skip it. We'll skip it. Wow, that's um, that's pretty pretty striking there, Ruckus. That sounds like exactly the logical end of the conspiracy theory I was uh, speaking towards today on State of the Nation with regards to why we get to see all the Twitter files and why they get to go to House subcommittees and all this stuff. Because, well, little revelation of the method, little put some bow on all the conspiracy stuff. Like, yeah, I was right. So what? So what? We Yeah, we gave you a little couple steam valves. Here you go. The, the, the people in the Discord chat are going crazy. Like, they're losing their mind. Like, is that real? How much of that was real? So we'll need Terry to explain yeah, exactly parts of that is, is actually deep faked, made by AI technology, which is like, wow, meta upon meta. Um, yes. This is, yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. Um. But uh, you know what? All of this reminds me of, I'm just going to throw this out there um, because y'all know I'm a huge Bill Cooper fan. I can't help but think that this is literally the ultimate quiet weapon, the silent weapon, right? Because he said in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, speaking on that thing, therefore the silent weapon is a type of biological warfare. It attacks the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals of the society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their sources of natural and social energy and their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. So whether or not it's like the silent weapon, it certainly is one of these silent weapons. And clearly, if what that scenario plays out in that little disturbing clip there um, is true... It goes along the lines of a lot of things that we've all been saying on this show, other platforms, uh, people like Whitney Webb, et, et cetera. But like, this sounds a lot like, hey, setting everybody up for the uh, air quotes mark of the beast system. Just throwing it out there. But 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, hold, uh, Mark wants to Mark weigh in here real quick. What do you think about this? I mean, you're deep in where we're headed with as far as the globalism, global cities, and where the Fortune 100 is, where the politics have all gone wrong nationally and internationally. The borders. I mean, what what do you see uh, from what we just heard? I mean, we're going to get a little more detail on the AI factor here, but it's getting <clears throat> it's getting murky out there, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. Um, you know, the COVID thing, you see Joe Biden talking about uh, COVID no longer being declared an emergency. And uh, that's very puzzling in a way. Of course, he's giving it until the month of May. So there's a lot of time for him to have wiggle room. But you wonder, and I know this sounds fantastic to a degree, but you wonder if the whole COVID thing is that context that that video mentioned. Um, to to kind of stir the pot, to get everything going that direction, to give everybody a taste of uh, journalistic freedom to fight the COVIDocracy, uh, only, perhaps only for the purpose of um, spinning this web even further uh, that was already started before COVID. Now, I, I would like to be wrong, and I probably am wrong, but we have to consider all possibilities that the whole COVID thing has been largely, if not completely, a fake for the very purposes that were outlined in that video clip, um, you know, sort of the context into which this would be done. It mentioned context. And uh, it's it's created a lot of uh, point, counterpoint, pressure, counterpressure, uh, the vax not, not, not trusting, the, the vax not trusting the non-vax, the non-vax not trusting the vax people, you know, a lot of lo- people at loggerheads over these things. Um, I think that, one lesson we can draw from it, or one tactic maybe is a better word, is to keep keep a certain amount of our activities offline, not do everything on the Internet. Uh, if it's time to go protest at the Capitol, go protest at the Capitol. If it's time to protest outside a CBS news office or a local news affiliate, do it physically. Um, uh, pr- don't let print media... Uh, completely fade out. You know, let's keep publishing newspapers when we can and newsletters. Um, I've always thought that we need to keep at least one leg in the older technologies, analog, if you will, even though the digital world has a lot of applications and is very useful and very efficient and very cost efficient, and we shouldn't stop using it totally. But you know, the lesson I draw from it is is to keep part of our world analog, uh, to keep uh, the old-fashioned ways, if you will, alive in terms of making our voices heard because they can't control that and they're not expecting that. Uh, the, the corral they all want us in is a digital corral. Then it's only a matter of who holds the cards. So we need to decentralize a lot of control. Uh, you know, AI is dangerous when it's centralized, but AI could be maybe in some ways liberating when it's decentralized. So there's there's a lot of uh, you know degrees of power. Who holds the cards? Who doesn't? How do we democratize this thing? Um, but I won't go on because this is the kind of topic that could literally go on forever. <laughs> and so that I'll leave it at that. But these are just some feelings I had after watching that that animation video clip. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Um, I'm gonna mute you. Um, wave your finger at me if you need me to unmute you. Okay. Because I get a little bit of slapback still. So. But we're with you. I appreciate what you just said. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear Terry's take on what Mark said about context, maybe having something uh, else to mean there. And Terry's also going to give us a little more context about how that was created. But 
Uh, let me check in with Wandering Wolf and Odd Man out first. Do either of you guys want to respond? And then Karen, do, does anybody want to uh, got any hot responses to what we just saw there before we get a little more uh, details? Yeah, I have something. Um, watching that that clip was quite haunting because uh, I've I've been a uh, a long time Metal Gear fan. I still have my original copies of all the games, including the first one on the NES, which still plays. Um, and I, I remember when I when I first played Sons of Liberty, uh, which is the uh, kind of this not, not the second one, I guess technically the third one if you count the original NES game. When I f- I remember when I first played that. If I recall, as you get um, deeper into the progression of the story, Raiden, the main character there, kind of figures out he's been taking orders from an AI impersonating his commanding officer the whole time. I mean, there's a, there's a famous line, uh, I need scissors 61 from that game. That still rattles around in my mind sometimes 20 plus years on. Um, and it's just incredible and haunting watching that clip because I remember being deeply disturbed at the time by the implication of that idea that you could have a military operation completely directed by an artificial intelligence and now here we are living in that reality at least something that's resembling it more and more all the time and it brings to mind uh you know what other um artists have have written uh and said about this too i mean i think certainly about um william gibson's neuromancer you know i mean when you have an entire society where the only way certain people can work is if their nervous system is plugged into a system a corporate system that is signed off on by that corporate system and maintained by that corporate system. And the moment he steps out of line, they fry it entirely and he's not able to participate in the society anymore. Um, And, you know, that seems really far fetched because still it's grounded in the analog. It's grounded in the biological systems of the human body. But, you know, this is a book that came out in the early eighties. So, when you apply that principle to the technology that we have now and how much of what we do relies on things that are not biologically rooted and not physical, the implications become even more frightening. Um, so yeah, that was a deeply disturbing clip. And I do think that like Ruckus said, uh, that is the silent weapon. Absolutely. Um, the, the most haunting line of the whole thing was we will create the context and I think that we absolutely see that happen all the time now. Uh, yeah, maybe the context is uh, whatever hashtag the latest thing is. Uh, Odd Man, how about you? Hot take after that one, man. I need to go back and watch and listen to that again. It, it was really, uh, there was a lot said there, and it was pretty mind-blowing how realistic everything that was said in there seems to be. I, I believe that's kind of where we're headed, of course, and one of the things too, I was, I'll just mention quickly is I feel like, and maybe it's just from my feeds and social media, but uh, I feel like another aspect that's being brought on with a lot of this technology is kind of confusion and chaos, you know, cause we've been seeing chaos for a long time, you know, order out of chaos. And I think that's just something that's went on for, you know, who knows how many thousands of years, but uh, now it's to the point with technology where you can cr- create mass chaos almost instantaneously. And so I I feel like there's almost kind of this uh, move to almost fool people into believing there's no such thing as a reality. And um, 
you know, maybe that's a little bit different than what we're talking about, but I see that a lot, you know, of course people that get into like occult stuff, you know, a lot of times they kind of do believe that, but I feel like that's, they're kind of mainstreaming that almost. And there's all this crazy stuff that you're seeing that almost doesn't even seem real. And it seems like our government almost doesn't even care what we think anymore, you know, I mean, uh, whereas even 10 years ago, there's certain things that they wouldn't do or they wouldn't say because they didn't want to kind of upset us to the point that we might actually rebel, which it doesn't look like we would do that anyway in any big numbers. But uh, I just feel like that uh, there's a, at least, you know, chaos for the plebs, you know, the chaos for the regular people. And, you know, that's going to always benefit the people who are really, you know, in charge in the background. So uh, I feel like it's all connected together. That's all I guess I'm wanted to say about that. Odd man. I think you just inspired the title for tonight's boiler room. It's probably going to end up reading and sounding something like this. Meta mega nihilism and the AI cultural weapons of mass confusion or maybe mass chaos. I don't know. I'll have to refine that, but I think that's probably where we're headed tonight. I'm going to jam that in the chat so I don't forget it because I will forget it. Okay, Karen, uh, over to you, and then we'll go, we'll go back to Terry and, uh, and, and get his uh, you know, closing take on that piece because that was pretty, pretty stark right there. Yeah, it's pretty, it's really mind-blowing. I, I never played uh, video games myself. I always thought that if I did, like, I would just get sucked in. I have way too much imagination. I also never did any hallucinogenic drugs because I would not be here today if I did. I already have too much crazy imagination, but my kids certainly uh, did. And it was quite interesting to see uh, back in the day, you know, what they did. But I think, you know, it's a lot of this is this, this, I wrote a piece about this obsession with identity. You know, it's not just about, you know, everybody has to have this ID, but it's an obsession with proving who we are. This And the more that, and I really feel like the more that we have this obsession of proving who we are in the virtual world, the more we lose ourselves our identity in, in the real world. We'll never be able to prove uh, enough you know, who we are. And it's, and it's actually quite profound if you look at it deeply. Um, but, you know, there's this interesting thing is that I, um, digital computers will soon reach the limits of demanding technologies such as AI. Just the impact of two projections by 2025, driverless cars alone may produce as much data as exists in the entire world today. So that's just driverless cars. Why, I think we need to ask ourselves, why are we so obsessed with collecting all of this data? Fully digitizing every cell in the human body would exceed 10 times all the data stored globally today. In these and many more cases, we need to find ways of dealing with unprecedented amounts of data and complexity. You know, we're, we're sort of like uh, building this, this um, massive amount of data, but I think we need to ask ourselves the question of why. Why are we so obsessed with this? Why are we so obsessed with intellectualizing, uh, finding out information? Because information is not actually knowledge. And so I think this is, you know, we're, we're, we're in, in a sense, we're destroying our own humanity by trying so diff so hard to figure out our ourselves, which we can never do. It's a mystery. Sometimes we have to accept that there are mysteries in life and we, and we live actually by faith, but that's a whole other topic. We don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So Terry, uh, go, uh, go ahead. Wandering Wolf and then over Terry. 
Yeah, sorry, Ben. I, I just wanted to comment really quickly what Karen just said there. Um, that's exactly right. This, this obsession with data, my theory on it is that we've been conditioned to value data in a way that we probably wouldn't have in a state of nature. Um, because we're, we're exposed now to so much information and more and more all the time. We see data as power because we see that as essential for our ability to manipulate the environment and therefore to hedge against chaos. That would be, that would be my theory. I think it's, it's become an existential condition, but it's been conditioned into us by a feeling of vulnerability to an increasingly chaotic environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, there's so much to go over here. Uh, first of all, the Discord was going crazy wondering about the video. I just have to explain a little bit about that video itself. Um, that is a YouTube video from a user named Cybergem. Okay, it's not put out by Konami or the official. It's not from a game. It's a imitation. It's a parody of the game. Okay, I, I played the game like crazy. It was my favorite game of all time. That's why I wrote a book on it. I was obsessed with the themes of it. The themes of the game are identity it's it's digitization it was the idea of what can you trust what is real what is not real it's it was all 2001 uh the creator of the series is hideo kojima uh again my book is the kojima code and core you'll like this the scissors 61 is right on the cover there it is all right. so <laughs> at some point in the game your commanding officer you do realize that it's an AI, that you haven't, you don't actually belong to a military unit at all. You are a, an MK Ultra style uh, slave who was brought up from childhood, imported from a South African civil war, and basically you got brainwashed into believing you were part of a high-tech special forces unit, and you've been sent on this mission to quote-unquote stop terrorists, but... What you're actually doing is the exact opposite. You are the terrorist, and you are the one who is killing the people who are trying to stop the shadow government. So the bad guys in the game that you're killing are trying to stop the shadow government by having a sort of coup. And your mission, your secret mission with your commanding officer in your unit is actually... um, an AI that is programmed to create a false scenario, misleading you and reinterpreting all the events around you in such a way so that it creates the context. It creates the idea that what you're doing, these are bad people, you're the good person. Uh, You need to immediately, there's no time, you have to go and do your mission. The whole thing is this complete mind F. It's just from top to bottom. And it plays out very slowly. It's a very long game. There's a lot of... You don't see it coming, okay? And then it, it builds up towards the end where you have this revelation where the AI actually takes off the mask, so to speak, and starts to absolutely ruckus put in the chat, total recall, huge influence. I talk about the total recall influence in my book because I know for a fact that Hideo Kojima is an obsessive Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. I've basically read every interview that Hideo Kojima's ever, ever done, and I know that he's a big total recall fan. And it's all about, it's the exact same plot in a way that he goes on this digital vacation, but he doesn't know, did I actually, did I actually slip into the simulation or is this still real? Because at the exact transition point where 
um, the, his mission was supposed to begin, everything goes wrong, and supposedly the mission never starts, right? So, or the, the fantasy uh, uh, reality, the virtual reality is... So, it, it, again, it blurs that line. It's a very good analogy, and I use it in the book. And so this video is from just a fan like myself, except obviously they're, they're doing this while as I'm writing books. And the, so they actually used something called 11 Labs AI. And this is for the voice synthesis. So there was no voice actors hired for this, but they sound exactly like the original voice actors in the game. Um, if I didn't, when I first listened to it, I'm like, holy cow, they actually hired those voice actors. They're still around and there's, they were actually willing to do this. That's crazy because this is very politically incorrect. Oh, wait, no. It was actually AI. So this is a deep fake itself. Using AI to prove the point, the fact that I was fooled. I remember this game. I remember listening to hours and hours of the conversations in the game. You have a, a radio in the game so you can always call your, your uh, supporting characters and, and have interesting conversations. In the game, in the original game, they had conversations about... You know, uh, the guy was talking about an online girlfriend that he had. And it was like, how do you know that that was a real woman? You know, how do you know that you were talking to a real person? You know, that could have just been AI. And back then in 2001, the conversation was, that's ridiculous. They, they could never do that. You, could, you can't pass the Turing test. You could never fool somebody into believing that you're a real person. But now, today, in 2023, it's been proven that there are bots... Um, it's been tested on 4chan where they would go in there and they would have for weeks, they had conversations posting as users and nobody knew that it was an AI bot that was doing it until they revealed it. So you have communities where you can have entirely fake personalities with specific traits, specific histories, specific quirks and qualities and preferences and opinions all being packaged into a simulation, into a, an AI persona that it is projecting and of course if an ai can if a computer can do something once it can do it 10 billion times just it can scale up infinitely that's the whole point of a computer it can do a math equation once well then it could do a million math equations and that's how we're somehow you know all of our video is being um encrypted and decrypted and transmitted in real time right now as we're sitting here and talking a computer can just do that once it knows how to do it so the same logic applied to AI is mass scale illusion while still being personalized. Um, so this person used 11 labs AI for the voice synthesis. It says right here on the YouTube video, ironically, they recently mentioned in their Twitter that they have the ability to detect if a voice clip was generated with their service and which user generated it in order to ban users who abuse their service. They also just put the voice cloning feature behind a paywall for some reason or for the same reason so that everything you generate is tied to your credit card. So this is where the ability to create uh, using this stuff is super powerful. You can see it right here for yourself. Um, didn't have to hire anyone, zero cost, just using this free AI tool. Um, it can be tied into a biometric uh, digital ID, which is something that's been constantly discussed in the World Economic Forum and the various AI summits around the world. Um, I wrote an article last year uh, in September called Fear Not Humans, Global AI Summit 
begs us to trust our newborn digital overlords on my Substack. And there was an AI summit in Saudi Arabia where the Saudi royals were, were hosting this event. It was all in English. It was very weird. They had all these international experts come in. And the whole thing was about how essentially the underlying subtext was let's somehow get humans to actually trust smart cities and AI systems and the idea that AI knows better than humans what's good for them. And so the big picture, the end game you want to talk about, end games, it is smart cities, it is total enslavement. It's like Cody, Corey said about New York being this prison. The idea that cities, right, Neom was a centerpiece at Saudi Arabia. That's only one of the many cities that they're trying to build. There's also, um, I forget what the other one was called, Oxo. Oxagon or something like that. Did you see um, the um the the one they proposed for Ukraine? I didn't. Oh my god, I'll link it to you. It's it's astounding. They're literally saying in the beautiful new smart cities of Ukraine after they I guess wipe Russia off the face of the earth. Haha, LOL. I don't know how that happens, but that they're going to have a smart city there, a 15-minute style smart city with all the stuff and all the things. Everything we're talking about here and they flat out said to include a court, a, a judicial system that is run by artificial intelligence and um, everything touched, you know, cash free, cashless. They're just being right up front about it. It's cashless. It's crypto. It's modern. It's hip. It's cool, guys. It's going to have. This is Web 3.0. It's the yeah. real world turning into the total panopticon surveillance system so that every street corner and everything you wear, they've talked about putting microchips in what you wear, and everything that you do and eat even, they're trying to put it into food so that there's nanomachines in your food. Um, everything is a tracking system, and so that the whole, you want to talk about a prison planet, you know, Alex Jones' prison planet, th this is the idea of actually turning all, at least these major urban centers into smart cities and then the question of the ai now this is where this video comes back around to what it's actually saying and what's relevant about it because the ability to drown out reality as they say okay that's one thing you know to mass produce misinformation but then the regulation and the crackdown using certain misinformation terrorists that's a very realistic term that we can see in the future deep fakes of Joe Biden doing something um, suddenly now it's actually a matter of national security because somebody will actually publish it on the news story. There'll be um, people will show up to the Capitol building. The entire narrative of the last couple of years has been about provoking people, seeing what their limits are, you know, lock down, destroy your business, uh, call you non-essential uh, force, all this stuff, see what the breaking points actually are. Cause we haven't had that test in North America basically ever um, you had drafts and stuff like that, but this is the greatest social experiment in human history. And because everything was, I mean, event 201 literally talked about it as a simulation in which the experts who were there were talking about, well, we're going to have to crack down on misinformation. Uh, misinformation is, you know, enemy number one when there's a pandemic and everyone needs to get on the same page. And so the context, it is absolutely like Mark said about creating context so that once these things get unleashed more and more and they become more high profile and dangerous, um, that sets up the next stage of crackdowns, regulations, 
and um, and then these smart cities, which will, I guess, in some, I still find it hard to believe that they will be able to sell that to anyone. It, it seems like right now they're just ramming it in people's faces and just saying, here it is, you don't have a choice. And that's obvious. They know that that's going to create backlash. They know that people hate it. They know that guys like us, I went super viral, millions of views on my videos warning about this stuff and how the green agenda ties into it. I tied it into Revelation. I mean, I wrote a book, you know, my most popular book is Maybe Everyone is Wrong, Revelations, Conspiracy in the Kingdom of Heaven. This is a deep dive breakdown of the book of Revelation and how it's gotten to where we are through a, you know, an interpretation of the Bible. People love that on TikTok. A 150-part series that I did on TikTok just breaking down my interpretation of Revelation and saying how it ties in with all these conspiracies from, you know, before the Middle Ages already, the, the involvement of the Catholic Church and and the various, um, you know, corruptions of of institutes at a high level and sort of the prophetic and Christian angle of it. But the point is, people are into that now. People are very aware. That's the biggest movement is this great awakening that wants to counter the great reset. So that's another question. I mean, that's maybe that's a whole separate topic yet, but for yet for now, yes, they are absolutely pushing the the mass confusion, the weaponization of information, using AI to create completely um, seamless deep fakes, um, like banks and not being able to pay for services and stuff like that having to have the the verification system, um, very plausible, very realistic, and I have to say, very, very realistic and reminiscent of the original Metal Gear Solid 2, which I did write about, and it and like I analyze in this book, this is basically one half biography of Hideo Kojima to explain what was going on in his life, his childhood in Japan. Uh, his father was a, in the U.S. Navy in America, firebombed Tokyo during World War II, and he was very affected by the whole Cold War mentality and... There's a lot of interesting stuff about Hideo Kojima and why he ended up so interested in the American system of global control. And, um, and, and ultimately, he makes these artistic products warning about this stuff. This sounds like an absolute uh, echo of what was originally in there. The question of creating the government creating context um, in order to label people as terrorists was part of the original speech that this is parodying. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that it's resonating with people because for me it ties in 20 years of a fascination I've had with this topic. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, man, how relevant it is now. It's, uh, we, we've talked about uh, Deus Ex also in, in this vein on the show in the past. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the You've probably played that one, right? You played uh, Deus Ex also. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean those those sort of themes are just becoming more and more relevant at this point. Um, My favorite thing about Deus Ex, I'll just say real quick, is they actually predicted the soy p product being the only snack in the whole world. Right? I did not <laughs> in the, all the vending machines just have soy packets, and I'm like, how did they know? <laughs> The ultimate soy slop kibble. Yes, that's they, did they have bugs though? They need like soy bug, like you know, a Mars bar is made of soy and bugs or something like that for the ultimate soy 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 population. 
Well, that, that's one of, of, of two popular IPs to predict that, actually. The other one being Shadow Run, the tabletop RPG, because uh, you can't get coffee in that universe, so everyone's drinking soy calf, which is basically <laughs> soybean and caffeine. What, uh, I, what I find really incredible is that people, I mean, you say people will never allow this, but who would have ever thought that people would allow um, Alexa into their home, listening to every single thing that they're saying. And controlling I the mean, lock on their door. And Yeah, controlling the locks on your, and people think it's so cool. Like they, you know, they, people have been programmed that they have to have the latest phone. They, they are, they're going to stand in the line to get the latest of everything so that they can be the coolest person on the block. And everybody wants to have their smart house and their smart car and their smart, you know, and not, you know, it's just, I, I mean, I find that incredible. Don't you know, I mean, who wants this thing? And there are actually people behind that. I did an article about that as well. There are people evaluating your conversations behind that. I mean, what's next? You know, a camera in every room in your house and nobody's going to care that somebody's actually watching you. I mean, I mean, it's really crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you look at the the amount of personal super personal conversation that happens in the IMs on all the meta products and on all the Google products. And it's just like, wow, one wow. You know books, what I mean? <laughs> one of my favorite books is the traveler by Jonathan 12 Hawks. I don't know if any of you know about that book. He, he wrote, it's a series of three books and he talked about all of that. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a really, it, it's a really great book written quite, quite a few years ago, but about all this sort of, uh, um, foretelling all of this stuff. Sort Ruck of has pointed out that, spiritual uh, side. yeah, there's a spiritual side. I want to, I want to touch on that too, because, uh, so at first Ruckus pointed out that, um, open AI was bought by Microsoft and it is now being chat GPT is now being incorporated into Bing. And I pointed out in on TNT radio yesterday that, uh, Bing is incorporated into every windows operating system. So when you do a search yep. on windows on your own computer, you think it's offline. You don't think anyone's doing anything with that search that you're doing. No, it automatically uses Bing to do it. So you're using chat GPT right automatically every time it's it's absolutely time to try to transition to linux um you know and, and to get away from microsoft but um so th yes there it is on the screen microsoft's ai powered bing challenges google search google is is developing obviously their own thing they claim that there's going to be sentient uh they're going to have a sentient ai to do something in the next year um so this this arms race between uh the big tech corporations my theory of course is that uh from what I understand, Microsoft itself was just a spinoff of IBM, IBM controlling all of the computer hardware originally. Um, they couldn't have a monopoly on both hardware and software at the same time. It would be too blatant. There would be um, regulation of that. So they created the spinoff of Microsoft so that um, they could have someone else handle the software side, but it's essentially the same entity. It's the same corporation. And Bill Gates didn't actually create anything. He wasn't he wasn't smart. He got handed all the technology. The same thing with Elon Musk. I don't know if there's any Elon Musk fans here, but he's a total fraud. He never created PayPal. He didn't create uh, electric cars. He bought these different companies, drove out the original founders, and forced them to sign NDA agreements so that they couldn't talk about how he screwed them over. There's a whole interesting little documentary on that. But... Uh, yeah, these these fake entrepreneurs and these 
the, the Microsoft takeover, it's just reabsorbing the technology. Who knows where this stuff originally came from? It probably came from IBM and, and the same people who developed all these technologies, the military research sort of side of things. Just like the video, you know, posits is this theories that it's all military technology. They put it out there under some other company. Then the big company comes and just buys that company. And yes. that way it doesn't look like Microsoft created the product. But, you know, it, it could be as simple as that. Regarding the spiritual side, I think a lot of this, the confusion and the disruption, especially for young people. I mean, we're all old enough that we know what things were like before this. You know, we know what life was like before the internet and smartphones. But young people don't know. They're, they're doing Google searches when they're two years old. They're, they're talking to Alexa when they're a toddler. Um, and they're just accepting what's being said. So it's absolutely going to become that problem in the next generation, even if it's not going to affect us as much. And I think that's why our generations are all being suppressed and silenced algorithmically because we're the enemy, we're the, you know, traditionally, I've actually wrote about this on my Substack as well. Traditionally, I would be the prime consumer demographic. You know, all corporate capitalist systems should be trying to cater to me, you know, because I have money, I have a full-time job, I'm spending, I'm, I'm, I don't have kids, I, I got free income, I can give it to stuff. But instead, the whole thing has turned inverse, and now I am the enemy. I'm canceled businesses don't want to do business with me. I'm being kicked out of capitalism. So it's proof that capitalism isn't even about money anymore, or rather we don't live in a capitalist society anymore. And, and I think that's happening on a generational scale because we do care about libertarian values. We do want small government. We do want decentralization, but they're just going to go for the next generation down younger and try to raise them up and brain control them and that's where the spiritual side becomes sort of the ultimate battleground because um, I'm very concerned about the New Age movement and this idea of the subjective postmodern reality where you manifest your own reality. That's the whole conversation that's happening on TikTok nonstop. I've been fighting against it when I make TikTok videos. Is and You can see young people are the ones putting out these videos and, and really going for it and making these vir videos viral. It's the new age talking points that reality is actually subjective. On the fundamental quantum scale, um, we are creating the universe through our consciousness and through our thoughts. And so there's no objective reality. There is no such thing as truth. Your truth and my truth can be completely con contradictory and it doesn't matter. And one book I would just recommend to everybody, it's not, I'm not endorsing it as a, you know, this guy's exposing it. He's, he's fully propagating the lie but it's called the holographic universe it's a very popular book among new agers uh, written in the 90s by michael talbot the holographic universe it's this idea it, it incorporates basically all of the new age teachings with uh, sort of this syncret syncretic worldview of all religions being the same there's all one um common truth behind them all and that it's all the reason why it's called holographic universe is because the idea is that Essentially, the universe is just information and that um, our consciousness is like a laser that projects um, through a, like laser, I don't know if anyone knows how lasers actually work, but it has to go basically through a film and then it projects out something that looks like a 3D solid object, even though it's not. And so by analogy, that's what they're saying is that our consciousness forms reality 
only where necessary. Everything that we're not looking at isn't actually real. It's all very matrix. It's all very, um, the idea that, you know, total recall, vir virtual reality thing. So this is where the metaverse and the new age can actually converge on young people and convince them that they should just give up on objective reality and truth altogether and just keep positive thoughts and just go with the flow because really all the problems in the world are created by negativity. Guys like us who sit around and talk about facts and you know try to point out real corruption and focus on the negative side of things, they're being inducted into this philosophy that we're actually creating those problems by focusing on them. And that, you know, so there's this really sick, satanic uh, deception that they're going to try to suck kids into where uh, nothing is real, nothing is true, just your emotions are real. And then they're going to emotionally control them and starve them from any information while AI creates this hall of mirrors around them. Man, I was going to college at Humboldt in Humboldt, Humboldt State in the mid 90s. Every dorm room, every, every, young hippie liberal douche I would come across every psychonaut bless you psychonauts thank you for the shrooms um they all had that book that book was always on the shelf that book was always there and I believe um, it Eckhart Tolle right there also who teaches people not to look backward not to look forward only to you know if if time is a river uh, you're just fishing, you know, at perpendicular to the river, you know, you're not looking forward, backward, nothing else really matters. And, you know, the whole be here now thing. So I think like that. And then, uh, later on that guy came out, I can't remember the name, but, um, ended up, I think having some people die in his sweat lodges, uh, wrote a book called the secret, which was very like derivative of a lot of this kind of new Oprah's age stuff. Book. Yep. Yeah. I know people who've thrown their lives away over some of the, like, you know, base level the statement that that yeah. hurricanes and natural disasters are actually manifested by poor people in these countries who are afraid of a, a tsunami and so when millions of people get uprooted and destroyed because of it th the person was literally asked in an interview so are you saying that they manifested that and the person said yes they are thinking tsunami-like thoughts, and so the tsunami came and killed them. So you can actually blame the victim for the crimes you commit against them uh, in the in the holographic universe. I was I was astounded. He actually went to the logical conclusion and said that a woman arranges her own rape before she was born in a past life to teach herself a lesson in this life, and that the guy was likewise participating in some sort of quantum spiritual game that is playing out behind the scenes that it really had nothing to do with his free will in the moment it was this destiny arranged event between the two of them some silent contract they had in past lives that they gravitated towards each other and that event happened so literally if we if we go into what i call the green world order which is the main subject of my book fire in the rabbit hole that my most recent book uh it's all about these things it's about how the military is involved in it. There was this thing called the first earth battalion led by, uh, Jim Chan, Jim Channon. Um, if you've guys seen the movie men who stare at goats, um, the idea that the, the mind control psychic soldiers and stuff like that, that was a real thing. Um, they're making fun of it in the movie, but there was a whole bunch of serious stuff that they were exploring with the first earth battalion. And, uh, there's a pamphlet that Jim Channing created because he was a very artistic person. He created a pamphlet pitching this idea to the military and you can go back and look at that and it predicts a lot of the new age stuff, 
um, that is in the pop culture now. And so it raises the question of who's been guiding this and steering this and injecting this on a high level, the United Nations and their obsession with theosophy and, um, and Alice Bailey and, and ties in with the Michael Talbot stuff as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think on a high level, the game that's being played is to break down reality to the point where everything is fake, uh, but we can just be led around by our emotions. And then I, I talk about in my book, Fire in the Rabbit Hole, what happens if we get into this green world order where these things, Christianity is basically eliminated, it's considered disinformation or something like that. And then we don't have an objective world anymore. If a pedophile rapes a kid or something like that, do they go to court and then say, actually, this was, we have a psychic here who uh, did regression therapy and determined that uh, this was actually something that you wanted to have happen to you because in your past life, you determined that this would be a growing event in your life. Like the actual logic is that victims are guilty and that criminals are just doing them a favor by hurting them because, uh, you know, we can't have um, responsibility in this life. We're basically just the puppets of external forces. And so, so this is where Michael Talbot's logic goes. And um, I think it's very tied in with this Hall of Mirrors AI scenario. When you think about, not us, because we're, we're dinosaurs, we're irrelevant already. They're already trying to just kill us and get rid of us and censor us and silence us. So they don't want us to be part of the equation. They're totally focused and invested in Zoomers or younger people who will be totally brought up in a society where they've been masked and controlled and lied to and they're outraged, but they're confused and they don't know who the good guys are and they don't remember a time before that. It's just been confusion from the earliest days. Yeah, that would also explain uh, and fit in with what we're seeing right now with all that we've got um, more than 75 uh, DAs in this in the United States right now. They're Soros backed, Soros funded. All of them are letting California's let out uh, over 7000 pedophiles without spending, you know, even a week in jail. They're there that we've got political prisoners for speaking out and, and you know, the other political combatant sides being completely protected by the system. Um, you know, so that whole like relative moralism right there, this, this whole like hyper uh, nihilism attitude, postmodern attitude, you can really see how that is going to, how that would fit in with all these policies and pushes for changing legislation, crime reform, all cops are bastards, you know, all these movements that fits right into that. Okay, um, Karen, I think you wanted to jump in there. Oh yeah, I was just thinking to bring it to the to the uh, actual real world. I see kids, um, you know, they're completely obsessed with uh, virtual virtual worlds. So it, it's so I've I see kids there for hours and hours upon hours, and also COVID. You know, the lockdowns really helped. To yeah. solidify this, but they will sit there in their, you know, they are already in these worlds that they create a 10 year old, eight year old. And so they all have a house that they've created. I mean, it goes back to, remember that old game, The Sims? It was like, I remember oh, yeah. that game, like, what a boy, like, who would, who would want to do that? You know, you're repeating things that you would do in the actual real world it is so bizarre, but people loved 
doing that. And this is actually what kids are doing now. And I, I was listening to a conversation with a, with a child, um, 10-year-old child, and she was communicating with her friend. And um, they were, she was in her house, in her, you know, virtual world. And she had made some hot dogs. And can you, and she was like, can you believe it? Like Sheila came in and she took my hot dogs and she ate my hot dogs. And now I'm going to have to make some more hot dogs. And they're having this whole conversation in this fake world. And it's, and it's like meaningful to them, you know. And I said to her, I said, well, why don't you make some real hot dogs? And she was like, oh, no, why would I do that? You know, it's it's so much more convenient just to sit here like a blob and, you know, and live in this virtual world and have all these interactions and all these dramas. And, and they're even saying there's a... Um, there's a guy, you know, they talk about the meatverse as opposed to the, met, you know, metaverse where... Um, where you can, you know, net revenue from developers will be like, it's going to be billions upon billions because people are going to rather um, buy things in their virtual world. I mean, it's, it's become so bizarre rather than to live in the real world. Children now are watching their, an, in, their favorite influencer on YouTube, petting a cat, walking their cat while they sit there you know, it's like um, two times removed from reality, you know, more and more removed from from actual reality. And they just will sit there numbly and watch this person or these people, these influencers do the things that they should actually be doing. And and this is what and this is what they find to be quite normal and quite interesting. So I do want to jump in on that point because. As somebody who played a lot of video games growing up, I mean, it was my favorite pastime. I, I also went and played on playgrounds and, and went on adventures when I could, but I was I was limited to playing video games a lot. Um, and also people who play tabletop role-playing games will know this. Um, the It's actually very healthy for kids to role-play to an extent, to have interactions with other people where I pretend to be this, you pretend to be that. Kids do that from literally their youngest age. They are they're make, playing make-believe. They are pretending. It's how they grow up. It's how they, they see themselves. They, they imagine themselves a certain way, and then they play out the scenarios. It's a very child psychology has, has shown that role-playing can be, and in fact, it's almost essential to do, to play, to pretend, to make to, yes to get upset about something that's completely fake to go through develop those emotions and 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 then play it out so that it doesn't have to happen in the real world you've you've played out the scenario in make believe so that when it really happens um you know you're not as affected by it but i think it's very valid to still say that there's a limit on that and then you have to go out in the real world and actually verify those things and have real relationships and have a completely contrasted, disconnected world as well. It's okay to have both, but the idea of the metaverse basically being this prison of constant simulation where nothing is real, and then your real life is just a subsistence-level uh, prisoner who, like, is stuck in a cage, basically, and then you go, you're always trying to get back to the simulation. That's not how it's supposed to be. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
There's a couple of things I, I want to remark on about that too. I mean, between uh, tabletop uh, role-playing games and video games, I mean, I, both of which I've I've been an avid participant in my whole life. But um, you know, certainly one thing about tabletop RPGs is you've got that cooperative aspect. You're all co-creating a narrative. You're co-creating a mythology, and you're also engaging in experimentation and problem solving. That does have consequences, but you get to iterate different strategies and tactics. Uh, and apply them to different scenarios and see the results in a way that even if your character dies in the game, okay, you can make a new character. Um, so you you have a way of experimenting with things with uh, a limited degree of consequences uh, that you can then take into other areas of life and and have some ability to predict what the outcomes might be. Because communication be skills are very important. Yeah, because you've been able to test them out in game. And yeah. the other thing I'd add to that too is when video games first hit the scene, what were the social conditions? We had arcades. Yes. You, know, you would go to the arcade and everyone would take a turn on asteroids or something else. And sometimes, you know, for an introverted kid like me back then in the 80s, um, I had to occasionally recognize that if I wanted to play my favorite game, I might have a total stranger sat next to me playing the same game. Uh, and so you learn a bit of social grace. There's competition. You can develop tribes um, around certain games. So there's that social development tribal dynamic that really speaks to how human beings always evolved in a state of nature. Um, so this whole idea that video games have now become this mostly solitary pursuit, and I don't include MMORPGs and things of that nature where people are communicating over headsets, it's not the same thing. Video games now are far, far less cooperative than they used to be despite all of the internet gaming because you're not interacting face-to-face uh, -face with other human beings and developing strategies and tactics to beat the game uh, directly in real time looking across the table at someone else. So I think that the, the notion that gaming has become the solitary um, pursuit is way different than it used to be when video games were first hitting the scene. The last thing you wanted to bring up was, um, you know, you, you guys kind of touched on just the effects of AI and technological immersion on, on kids. And I remember about 13 years ago, um, uh, I had a movie that I shot that I was at a film festival and Ray Kurzweil was at the same film festival because he had a documentary uh, that was appearing at the same show. And um, they did a dinner with him and a number of the different filmmakers. So we all got to have dinner with him. And I, I remember him describing this scenario where um, he was talking about his singularity theory and all the rest of it. And he was saying, imagine a world where children are born into the world and they're assigned an artificial intelligence that's with them from birth to death. Um, and oh. I was the only person sat at that table who was horrified by that idea because of the implications. You have this thing that you grow more attached to, probably, than your own parents. What is this thing feeding you about the nature of reality? And now here we are. Horrible. It's like Cortana, but you can't turn it off. Wow. Right. Wow. And wow. it's assigned to you. So yeah. you don't you don't get to co-create it. You don't you, you have to imprint on this artificial intelligence that's assigned to you from uh, a, um, a mainframe. Wow. A larger network system. Wow. Yeah. Okay. One, let me, uh, let me break in for one moment here. Remind everybody you're listening to the boiler room over at alternate current It's our website. I'm going to put reference links on the show page to um, all the, uh, all the references we, we got to tonight and that we will get to uh, including Terry Wolf's Substack and books and same for Karen hunt. 
Uh, we've got Mark Anderson, the Truth Hound, with us also, independent journalist who appears on UK Column, ukcolumn.org, O-R-G. Mark, um, I don't know how long we have you tonight, so I wanted to check in, get your comments on where we're at so far, and um, just give you a chance to shout out what you got going this week at UK Column and any other outlets. Okay. Uh, tomorrow morning, I expect to be on UK Column. It could be Monday, but I think it's tomorrow morning. Well, morning, our time, 1 p.m. Plymouth time in the UK. I'm giving a detailed, fairly detailed outline of what's called the Zero Draft. It's the first re rendition, the first draft of the World Pandemic Treaty. The World Health Organization is moving along maybe a little quicker than I anticipated. I I've written a couple articles for UK Column about this and uh, covered it on my RBN radio show, but uh, I believe it'll be tomorrow. I'll be on UK Column to, to delineate and outline this first draft. They're calling it Zero Draft. I'm not sure why they named it that exactly, but I'm going to go into considerable detail on this, and it's one of those things where, needless to say, it needs to be defeated in every way because they're obviously trying to get rid of any kind of national or subnational state level, local level, county level resistance to a one-size-fits-all, one-health, as they call it, system. So uh, tune into UK Column soon for that. I just wanted to make sure that got out there for your listeners and our crew today. And Mark, so. that, that ties right in with what we're talking about here because digital ID is paramount to everything that we've talked about here tonight with regards to the trajectory here and relating back to Terry's work and Karen's work. Um, you know, and it, it's just amazing how much actually hinges on that digital ID. And I'm sure you saw the, the WEF at their, their latest little circle jerk, whatever they're doing over there. Um, <laughs> they, the digital IDs came up, you know, in a pretty, uh, you know, out front sort of way, like emperor wears no clothes sort of way. These people are as interested in digital ID as they are the pandemic treaty and the, you know, forever MRNA being the cure for everything and all the, you know, CBDC, if I didn't say it already. Yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll make one more general comment on the topic, then I'll probably have to cut out. But um, uh, Terry's uh, preventing, uh, presenting some very interesting things and uh, raising a lot of great questions and, and providing a lot of insights. Uh, certainly this started a long time ago. Um, when the when the robber barons came along and and money uh, became very concentrated and and private interests controlled the creation of currency and money and credit and they created a monopoly of credit then along came uh, J.P. Morgan buying up papers and the monopoly of news uh, soon soon grew out of that and now we have a mass media cartel and uh, uh, Darwin uh, who didn't even believe his own theories half the time was was uh, put up as a unquestionable hero, a scientific, uh, you know, uh, an in, uh, how would you say it, a, a scientific um, here or uh, figure of all time, an icon, there's the word, and, uh, and, and uh, things like that. And, uh, of course, the theory of evolution by natural selection is full of holes. Um, uh, to, to, to deny the divine nature of man and to relegate man to the level of a mere animal was, was also part of this. Uh, long before the digital revolution came along, they were demoting humankind. We would no longer be the crown of creation. Uh, there would be, in fact, no intelligent design, no, no intelligent creation at all. Uh, everything would just be uh, random 
mutations that would accidentally lead to humankind. And I think that they, they long ago set the foundation for this uh, to, uh, uh, you know, demote humankind, to, to make, to create a more brutish existence, uh, to deny our divine nature, and, uh, and to set us at odds against one another, to create wars that were, you know, largely artificial. How many, how many populations would really want to go kill the population of another country? Uh, do we really think we're, we're going to protect freedom if we go to war with any country in this world, including China? Uh, are we really going to uh, establish or defend freedom or, or, or grow the realm of freedom by going to war with any country now? And, uh, you know, it goes on and on. The, the real tyrants are within our borders, and they've been there a long time. And one of their main goals in the modern sense uh, in the modern realm or the modern era has been to get us hooked on some sort of uh, narcotic. And that narcotic is now the digital universe. You know, the, the more we use it, the more they can surveil us through it. Now, like I said earlier, it's still useful in some respects, but like Terry is intimating, uh, we can't go all in on these things. We've got to have, you know, actual reality, uh, uh, not virtual reality all the time. We've got to take a walk in the park. We've got to have face-to-face -face communications like others have talked about tonight. Um, we, we've gotten to the point where the only progress we see in society is the, is the latest iPhone or the latest uh, technical wizardry. Everything else, by and large, seems to be dead in the water. Uh, truth itself, uh, you know, the moral high the moral barometer keeps getting lower and lower it seems although there's resurgences there but it it uh they're wanting to uh to get us to strictly live in a digital world and we've got to keep one foot maybe in that world but one foot out of it at all times we can't we can't get sucked into the very system that that they created you know the internet is useful but we the grassroots people did not create the internet um, that evidently came out of a, out of the military realm, and that tells you a lot right there. So, we it, it's a very tricky thing. We we can use the digital universe, we can use the internet, um, but we've got to decentralize it. We've got to keep uh, keep control of of the parts that we do, and we've got to, on the other hand, not be totally sucked into it and not be totally dependent on it. And the the wisdom will come with knowing. At, at what degree to do everything, you know, what degree to be uh, engaged in, in the in the uh, in the World Wide Web and and the uh, and, and all that, and to what degree to not be engaged, and so that's where wisdom comes in, and we have to exercise that wisdom. I mean, there's so much that could be said here. I feel myself wanting to go a million different directions with it, but <laughs> enough said because the very nature of this discussion, you know, you could just go on forever. So yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Mark. Well, uh, I, I guess you got to go. So I'll go ahead and, uh, um, shout out your website one more time, thetruthhound.com. You can also find Mark on ukcolumn.org and on all the UK column, uh, video streaming services. They're on all the alt services these days and on their website. Uh, and sometimes here in the boiler room and sometimes over at state of the nation on today's news talk, TNTradio.live, where you can find him over there sometimes as one of our regular guests. All right, Mark, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and punch you out. Anything else you want to throw out there before I hit the eject button on you? Uh, no, we're good. Just uh, uh, keep an eye on the border. I'm doing a lot on that. There's a lot of constant developments there. 
and there's even some stuff going on with the northern border with Canada that I need to look at more closely. But enough oh. said. Ah, great show, everybody. Have a good one. Okay, I'll I'll, yep. I'll hit you up Thanks, on the Mark. side, Mark, and uh, we'll get you on uh, State of the Nation next week and give us an update. All right. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later. All right. There he goes. That's Mark Anderson, everybody. Okay. Now, where were we? My goodness, so much ground has been covered. I think I should probably uh, hear from Ruckus and Karen. Uh, before we take it any further, because it's been a minute, I've seen uh, both of them writing things down and, you know, looking, sending me links. So, Ruckus, over to you. You've made a couple of comments in the chat. What do we need to highlight here? Well, all that aside, um, I want to make some comments about all of this stuff. Uh, so, because uh, I was actually very curious what, what um, Terry might think about something here. But... First of all, I need to address Karen. Uh, she's shocked at how this could happen and how people would be willing to accept this. You underestimate the power of convenience. Oh, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I know that. Yes. So that For our being, convenience. <laughs> yes. That being said, uh, I think the same thing is going to be very true soon about what's considered, quote unquote, the truth about anything. And that's where this AI, the search engine, the Bing thing comes into serious play and it gets really scary uh, because – and Patrick Henningsen was actually talking about this exact same thing this morning on his TNT radio show. It's crazy. It's like, you know, like, okay, when all these really smart people are all talking about the same thing, that's like out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, a thing is established, as it were. So um, – the idea that that he was discussing this morning and touching upon is like we're familiar. He brought this up, too. But the, the Star Trek universe, like uh, like it's all like everyone relies on just like this one ministry of truth in the form of computer, like computer. What's X, Y, Z? And the computer always spits out an answer. There's never any question whether or not the answer the computer spits out is the truth or not. It's just assumed to be and accepted as such. And Patrick was tying that into where this was headed with, with Bing and search engines competing with each other using artificial intelligence. And we hear and we think about like all of this stuff. You put that in the, in the context, as it were. Uh, again, there's that word of what's happening with misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. And we're literally, this is just, this gets absolutely insane. And it goes to a place I don't even want to say out loud, but we are saying we're painting this giant picture here tonight. Um, but I really wanted to, that being said, oh, and actual, real quick before I go with this next uh, freaky thing, uh, Wandering Wolf, to your point about your tabletop games and, and all of this stuff. Same thing with this stuff, I think, and it goes all the secret and the, the quantum mechanics or physics, whatever it's called. I remember that my dad, told me once because he was trying to get me into all that garbage like that he was saying like i'm gonna knock here like the solidness of like wood or a table is it's only a solid table because we say it is in our mind yeah, because we think so because ultimately when you look at it it's true i guess or we're, so we're led to believe that everything is made up with just like atoms but technically every there's just nothing but empty space so this gets into that matrix idea of like the trick is you know, when they're trying to bend the spoon, the trick in the matrix is that there is no spoon. And basically there is no such thing as a solid anything because everything is just empty space. So I wanted to point that out. And so, but I bring that up because like you have to, 
when you're playing these games and you're having this shared reality with like Shadowrun or Dungeons and Dragons, a tabletop role-playing game, everyone who's sharing that experience, it's only a, a reality at that time if everybody agrees to that shared reality. And with that, the shared rules of that universe. Because, like, otherwise it's Cartman and screw you guys, I'm going home, just throw the, you know, just toss it everywhere and just forget about it, you know what I mean? Or breaking out of the Matrix in that analogy, you know what I mean? Um, but I'm very curious how or if or where this might, maybe this there was a setup of a psychological operation with the whole Blake Lemoyne thing with Google and him trying to convince everybody that artificial, his artificial chat bot that he was talking to was real and it was coming to life and it had thoughts and feelings. You know, know about all that, Terry? I actually don't know. Uh, that, oh. I might have heard about it, but not by that name or, or maybe I would recognize it if I saw it. Well, Blake, Blake Lemoyne was the, the Google AI engineer who was working with this chat bot and he became like oh, a whistleblower. Yes, he was famous because he was trying to blow the whistle on yeah. the idea that it was sentient already. Yeah, so I was very curious what you thought about that as well as to how that plays into all of this. I mean, from what I did look into it a little bit, and from what I saw, it was an overblown fear, and it was basically he wasn't able to poke holes in it, and he was, I feel like he jumped to a conclusion. I See, I'm, I'm a very skeptical person by nature. I don't think that they're going to create a metaverse that's real and convincing. I don't think that they're going to successfully create um, a, a total smart city grid. I think that these are all doomed projects. And I, what I always try to tell people about is, and this is really the core subject of fire in the rabbit hole, is the idea that there is smart cities and total AI surveillance and, and panopticon and the grid and the matrix idea of, of swallowing up everybody into this illusion Yes, that's a terrifying vision of the future, and science fiction has been warning us about it for ages. But I actually believe there's something beyond that. I believe that that prospect is designed to collapse, that it will not last, that there's, it would require too many resources. There still will be software engineers and hackers who can just destroy it at some level. Um, technology can't become the prison Maybe in certain smart cities that are very heavily regulated, you could have these pockets of that. But the majority of people, they're either going to have to kill off so much of the population that the, the remnants are just in those cities. Or what they're going to do is they're going to have, uh, and this is my fear, this is what I try to talk about is in my Substack and stuff, is the idea that the alternative, the Great Awakening, which is heavily tied in with the New Age movement, is... Um, the solution that they're putting forward right now, which is the Great Awakening, is the next phase after that. The idea that um, that we all just need to get back in touch with nature, that we need to just have our own little farm, and we need to basically return to, I mean, we like to think of that as being, I own my land, and I leave me alone, I, I protect my own property, I have guns, I have my rights, you can't screw with me. Their version of that is feudal dark ages, subsistence peasant living where you uh, have to farm in order to live you don't have any mobility cars have been outlawed and this is where the green agenda really shows its true colors that so i i i'm purposely talking about ai being a, a threat here because i think it's the next 15 years 
I think it's to get the next generation prepared. Um, but I, even in the bigger picture, if you play out the scenario, I don't think they have the, the resources to maintain it. And then I think at that point, uh, there's a collapse that happens. And what happens in that scenario is that um, David Icke and Alex Jones and all these guys who, Jordan Maxwell and all these guys who have talked about the matrix and that we're trapped in these, um, you know, they literally will talk about simulation theory and the idea that reality, not just the computers, but the th what we call reality is, is actually fake. And it's all just a great simulation. Elon Musk too. Elon Musk as well. All these big thinkers who are supposed to be these provocative outsiders who are um, challenging the status quo. That's, and Joe Rogan is very much about that too. They become the voice of this next generation so that when they collapse the system and you have all the technology failing, um, they can come in and say, you need to have your bug out bag, you need to go into the wilderness and whatever, and then they can they can start to corral people back in the physical world. I think that they're actually, um, th this is all designed to be obsolete. I think that the AI that they're creating has limits and it's already hitting those limits. Um, it's, it's impressive what they can do. I mean, they can absolutely synthesize voices and they can push this to the point where they regulate it and they control the um, the legal responses to it, and they can do all these things that this video warns us about with the the uh, misinformation terrorists and the digital identity systems and stuff. But I want to keep one eye open for that uh, counter narrative as well, which is really hard to do right now because there's so much we still have to do to understand the current problem and the current thing that's emerging. But I see the seeds already being planted for the next thing. And I maybe it's just because I'm a very skeptical person. But when I saw that guy warning about AI, you know, already being sentient, um, I'm familiar with Leo Zagami, who's, uh, who wrote a book on um, cyber Satan is what he calls him. And the idea that literal demons will possess computers and that we'll all be hooked up to a neural network like the Matrix with like uh, Neuralink, like Elon Musk wants to do. And that on some metaphysical spiritual level, we will be hijacked by demonic forces that can be channeled through quantum computers to control us. I don't believe in any of that. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm a Christian. I believe in the spiritual world. I believe that demons are a thing. I don't believe that scientists have the ability to to accomplish those things. I, I'm skeptical of their reach. So I think what they're doing is they're throwing up these bogeymen, they're creating paranoia, they're creating hysteria, and they want us to get to the point where we're so freaked out that, and I think Trump is going to be this big final card in all of this, where the the takedown of the system, this, this the Q, QAnon storm thing is a big thing I talk about in my book, this idea of the counter-reaction that will, will, will arrest all the pedophiles, we will have justice, we will take down the system, we'll return to our roots. And then the question is, what are those roots? Um, what are we trying to get back to? For me, I like a Ron Paul style, right down the middle, libertarian, common sense, leave me alone, small government. Let's just try to make society work and let's all tolerate each other. And, and if you're a Christian, that's fine. I don't have to impose my views on you or whatever. But if you want to go back after this system collapses, 
we're seeing the the counter movement, the awakening, obsessed with cathedrals, uh, Greco-Roman paganism, neo-paganism, a huge thing. New Age movement is all about Eastern mysticism and chakras and getting in touch with uh, your astrological signs and all these things. So the, the, the real debate could be, and of course that's beyond the topic of today, but the real debate eventually could become who is going to control the solution to this problem that we're all seeing here. And uh, that's ultimately that's what my book Fire in the Rabbit Hole was about, if anyone's interested in that. But um, So that's a very long way of answering the question of am I worried about sentient AI? No, I don't think it will ever become close to sentient. I think that they're bluffing. Um, you know, I don't think they put a man on the moon and I don't think they, certainly if they did, I don't think anyone flew back from the moon back to earth. No one talks about that accomplishment. Um, I, I think that they like to bluff their capacity in a lot of ways. And this AI right now is for as amazing as it is, it's kind of, the reason why they're revealing it in this way is to create a narrative around AI being an unstoppable transformative force. And, um, and I think that that's, that's going to have a limited lifespan and then they're going to move on to the next phase. Thanks for alleviating some of my fears. However, I'm afraid Karen's probably going to drag me right back down to uh, nightmare land. <laughs> well, no, not, not so much. I mean, I, I, and, and again, I mean, all we can do is speculate. I mean, we don't really know what, what's going to happen, but I think that we have this, um, idea that somehow this problem can be solved. But if you look at the trajectory of the human race, we are progressing, you know, further and further and further on this path towards, uh, I mean, destruction. I mean, that that's all that there is. And even if, let's say that we somehow, you know, solve this problem, no matter if it keeps going or if we solve the problem, there's so much that's been put into it, into this. Uh, you know, if you just think about the pharmaceutical industry, the billions upon billions of dollars, you know, what, uh, how, you know, this is sort of like a train that's just moving forward that's kind of unstoppable. But if it does somehow stop, it's going to cause, either way, it's going to cause a lot of, you know, pain and suffering. <laughs> and uh, if we, you know, if we go back in time, it's going to, if we go back, you know, to, you know, this idea that, you know, I'm going to have my little plot of land or whatever, how do we go back there? We only go back there by, by also by a lot of destruction, you know, oh, yeah. and, and exactly. And there's a, I wrote a piece called the great filter. You know, there's this sort of theory called the great filter, which is uh, by this guy, Ferme, which is um, where, um, you know, the reason why we haven't contacted AI or, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, other aliens from other planets is because there's some, there's always an event that happens. Once you re once a civilization reaches a certain point, um, there's an event that happens either from the outside or in inside uh, the 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 um, the civilization that basically stops them from moving further, you know, going further. And so it, it, we could possibly be reaching, you know, it's again, it's just another theory, but we could possibly be reaching reaching that point. Um, you know, I think it's funny that we somehow, think that we can create 
uh, really what they want to do is create life. They want to find the secret to life. They want to be able to create, you know, that spark of life. What, what is it? What is it? That, and that's what really that, that they are searching for. And uh, what is it that gives us consciousness? You know, how will, and because we are created, we have a creator. What our desire is also to create, <laughs> you know, yeah. we want to create something. We create life by reproducing. Exactly. Humans, but. but so somehow we want to, the, these elites or whatever they want, they believe that they can become God, which, you know, if you're a Christian, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and that was the ultimate, you know, um, uh, yeah. what, what people, what, what was the downfall? You can be God. You can know. And that also goes back to the whole thing about the, our obsession with knowledge of, of, of information. We want to know. We want, but we don't know. We don't actually know anything. And I think it's quite hilarious that we're creating, we think we're creating a, these brains when we don't even understand our own brains, we don't even understand language, word, we don't understand it. You know, this guy, Christoph Koch, he's a, he's a, a, a chief scientist of the Allen Institute for Brain Science. He says, we don't even understand the brain of a worm. <laughs> uh, a, a lab roundworm houses 302 neurons and 7,000 connections between those neurons in its microscopic body. And researchers have painstakingly mapped and described all those connections, but we still don't fully understand how they work synergistically to give rise to worms' behavior. And humans, we have 86 billion neurons in our brains, woven together by an estimated 100 trillion connections. And we don't, you know, how do we begin to understand that? And yet we somehow think that we are going to create, we don't understand ourselves and we are trying to create something else. So that's why I don't think we, we, if we do not understand our own selves, you know, because we are inside of ourselves, we're not God, you know, God is outside the creator. You know, we don't understand ourselves because we are inside of ourselves. We, we, you know, I, I, I used to teach, I, I started a pro a creative writing program for incarcerated youth in Los Angeles. And I would say, do you, how do you know yourself? You can't even ever look at your face. All you ever see is a reflection, you know, as somebody else, I can look at your face. I cannot see even my own, my own face, you know? So we desperately want to know these things, but that's the mystery that, you know, another time, uh, the mystery of faith that we really must walk by faith and, and we must, and, and to be humble to to face the the reality that we do not know these things and we live by faith and that's the greatest fear the fear of the unknown the fear of you know death and all of that that we don't know but to be able to accept that we don't know then you can start living uh, a real a really meaningful life you know that that's what i'd like to say about the whole thing i, I promise i'll keep this short but i just want to say my tagline for my my Substack. Um, it has been that I'm a realist. I want to be a realist Christian and that I'm tired of, uh, false hope and fake truth movements. That's, that's my thing. False hope. I don't want to have any my hope is in Jesus Christ. I believe, you know, we'll probably, I think in the next 10 years, there's going to be such a strong deep, maybe not 10 years, but in my lifetime, there's going to be such a strong depopulation campaign that we might just literally be. You know, they might just release the bioweapons, whatever. We'll probably just die. I don't have any hope for a real-world solution way out of this. What I do care about deeply is 
false truth movements and false hopes and people being led down these paths. That's why it's called Fire in the Rabbit Hole, my last book, is because, yes, you're absolutely right. We need to have faith, and we there's so little that we do know. And so the deception is the is the final frontier no matter what because we've been talking about AI, we've been talking about, um, you know, solutions and, and where you can look and how bad it's going to get in different ways. And so I'm always looking at, you know, uh, what the, what the promise is, what the salvation is. People are hoping for technocracy to save us. The, the, the elite uh, scientists are looking to create life and to have transhumanism and escape that way. Um, and on the other side, what are we looking to? Like, are, are we thinking we can vote our way out of the apocalypse? Do we think that we can, you know, so um, it, it's just an ongoing thing for me to to want to stay in touch with tradition, logic, um, objective reality, facts, and, and use all the things that we the internet used to be good for is to do real research and and to find information and connect with real people and to wake people up. Um, so I, I think in that sense, whether or not this is going to be, you know, AI and, and the disconnection from nature is going to be the ultimate objective. Um, it's going to be a major threat in the near future. And then I, yeah, I, I just wonder about like the truth movement. I don't think there's one. I think that there is competing truth movements that are, we're now we're sorting it out in real time, figuring out where people stand. And Christians have always been this thing that they can't account for, and there no algorithm can account for it. They don't. It, the Bible says it itself that it's like the wind; it comes and it goes, and they don't know where it came from. And um, for me, that's that's what it comes down to: is to try to steer people or warn people about the possibility of of false truth movements, um, while we're all just trying to stay ahead of the deception. Yes, 100%. Yeah, man, it's it's a mess out there. Like the amount of information coming out right now and the, the like, you know, the general zeitgeist of everybody else out there these days. I mean, after every all these narratives have completely just propped up and then fallen apart for those that are looking. Giant, you know, COVID, boom mrna stuff boom uh ukraine boom it's just like all these joe biden hunter by all this stuff all the power politics stuff is just boom 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 one thing after another and like all the conspiracy theories are true that's what's going on right now all the conspiracy theories are true that's why you have this freak show like kanye showing up on alex jones's show not, see, I, I have to i have to say i i like that people are saying that but let's keep very clearly in mind that QAnon was a complete bullshit. Yeah, it was a psyop. psyop. It was a total that was, psyop. That was a big conspiracy theory for the for the baby boomer midwit sort of like I've never done research in my whole life. I have no information, but I'm now awake. I'm ready to. Right. And so you can't say conspiracy theories are no, all no, true. no. I'm not trying to be that general. I'm talking about the ones that the mass media cartel has been pushing the big yes. ones, the ones with like years long push on them. Like for example, uh, the white helmets in Syria, that's a piece of propaganda that we spent four years breaking down and it's a, a, a total psyop. So I'm talking about like, and then the Russia gate and then all this stuff. So it's like, 
Those right. uh, th- those mainstream conspiracies are now falling apart, and they made it easy for for news hounds out here to like point out these things in real time as they're happening. So I guess what I'm I'm getting at here is like those like those narratives have all fallen apart. But now as those were falling apart, we've got all the conspiracy candy and all the counter propaganda and all the psychological operations that have trickled in. And everybody's already at this point where it's like they either believe all the narratives they just watched or they watched all the narratives fall apart and now they're getting skeptical or they've been along for the whole ride and they're like, I don't believe any fucking thing anymore. And as soon as these AI bots are released, I'm really not going to believe anything now that we've seen all the deep fakes and the deep voices and all this stuff like, you know, coalescing. Well, and, I, and on, on TikTok, TikTok is a perfect uh, Petri dish um, for developing misinformation, right? So one of the, and, and conspiracy theories are, is like the hottest thing on there. You'll see teenage girls talking about how their number, their uh-huh. thing that they do with an opening line when they want to know a guy is what is your favorite conspiracy theory? It's now sexy to be a conspiracy theorist. It's completely flipped from what it was 10 years yeah. ago. And it's all saccharine. Um, it's all complete, just like milk toast saccharine. And then, oh, it's a and, mess, and in man. There you have flat earth. You have the idea that space isn't real. You have the idea that all of literal history is completely fake, that everything before 1970s is an illusion that was created. You have such schizophrenic, free association, nothing being promoted, noise being promoted as conspiracy theories. There has to be gatekeepers. There has to be quality control. People who are sane, who actually have read books and actually know something, have to be willing to stand up and say, that's not what we're doing. We're not part of that movement. Whatever that is, it's just reeks of PSYOP and Tartaria. That's another one. That's literally why my book is called Fire in the Rabbit Hole. Is a list of fake truth movements, fake rabbit holes that everyone is talking about. I went down the rabbit hole of Tartaria. So I talk about Tartaria and how it's bullshit. Um, you know, People are talking about flat earth. I debunk flat earth using basic logic and and all these things i actually go through in dmt sort of like uh spirit realm uh out of body experiences tying it in with the holographic universe so this is the thing it's like i love that people are waking up to the deception of the mainstream but now that is the new normal already society has already adjusted to that speed where things are being debunked in real time as they're creating a lie, it's already being debunked so that by the end of the day, we know that it was fake. And the question then is, um, this sort of meta-narratives that are surrounding the argument and these different um, interests, let's call them, narratives, are pulling people down different rabbit holes. And where do those lead? And the reason why it's called fire in the rabbit hole is my theory that they're all leading to sort of a, a syncretic new age spiritual technocracy where we have a new green uh you know return to your roots traditionalism sort of whatever it is i don't quite see it yet but it's emerging this narrative of of the rabbit holes okay so the earth is flat nasa is a a liar I, i believe nasa is lying but that doesn't mean i believe flat earth is true see you can have but people don't understand you can have both those thoughts at once so this is this is what's so uh, interesting about the time we live in is that there's 
conspiracy that I wasn't trying to accuse you of saying that every conspiracy theory is true, but I just know that that's what's being said by everyone. Right. And we're, a lot of people aren't stopping to think about all the conspiracy theories that are not only false, but if you actually buy into them, I've had serious arguments with, with very real fans of mine who've bought my books. They follow me on everything. They are my biggest fan and they are trying hard to get me into flat earth. Yeah, I've had like, that too. They're very And it's like you are now a NASA shill. They they're trying to, Yeah. and I've had to debunk them to the point where they finally got out of the cult and I got them out of it and it's like that they, they thank me for getting them out of it. So this is the thing there's the war for I, I think the the mainstream narrative is already over. Like we're not nobody with a brain who's who's under 60 is going to, you know, fall for it that much anymore. Um, there's just hopeless cases out there, but the, now the question is what's the alternative and who's going to right. control, who's going to have some quality control there. Right. And how to get, how to, how to wipe away the old. And I think that's kind of what we're leading up to right here. I mean, that's where we're culminating. And, and this is, this is now the new theme of mythology, right? We've done away with the hero narrative mostly. And now it's the anti-hero the you know all this kind of stuff the you know now that disney owns star wars it's burn the temples and get rid of the old ways and kill your father and and do chaos warfare and and you know carl young thing Uh, i'm I'm very suspicious of why jordan peterson is such a big carl young fan he keeps talking about the dark side of everybody in the in the the dark um you know we all have this inner archetypes that we're playing out and stuff that's gnostic that's Gnostic mysticism. It's it's very strange to tie it in as a scientist. I know Carl Jung is framed as being a big scientist, but he was really a mystic. And so, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of these weird seeds. Joe Rogan is a, the number one podcaster in the entire world. And um, we know that he's anti-Christian. He's called the New Testament horse shit. He said that directly on his program. Um, he's a big drug promoter. He's always, He loves Graham Hancock, who talks about ancient aliens being the ones that constructed the pyramids. It's like people are who don't do any homework are actually buying into these things. And if we're not careful, we're going to wake up and all of our allies against the lies of the mainstream media are going to be these people who have been sucked into cults. Right. And isn't it funny that none of those people, you know, like those people and then, you know, your, your crowders of the world and whatnot, none of them faced any censorship during the last five years, whereas small-time people like us have just been deleted from social media. And now the they're Hoy just... March had his bank yeah. accounts and his Patreon deleted. Like, Dude, it's crazy what happened to Havore and so many other people too. And they're just little blips, you know, on blogs and on podcasts. But it's like, this was a coordinated thing. And now they've presented it to us, you know, uh, hook or crook i'm going probably crook on this one with these twitter files that we have all the information now that verifies everything that we knew was happening we have names on faces nothing's going to happen for it nothing i'm going to go out on a limb and say nothing's going to happen nothing same with ftx nothing's going to happen anymore and no one's going to care anymore like the more things that like this that happen that are just like oh well they're happening openly in public now we just laundered a whole bunch of you know, cryptocurrency to Ukraine, and now we're going to send her. This is like they, they've realized they can just piss on us and tell us it's raining and, uh, you know, make us watch Satanic Ritual on the Grammys if we're normie enough and dumb enough to sit on the couch and watch such a stupid thing. 
which not many people you know, are. I mean, Karen, what do you, oh, what yeah, do you, you think know what, here? You know, you know that um, Albert Bora has calls this the golden age of vaccines. Frog guy, you seen his what his neck does when he talks? There's this video going around, it's viral right now. They were talking about it last night on Mystical American Patriot Society, and I looked it up. It's creepy, like. They've got it's video that, of him like that. bulging out his his neck and like making this weird like air sucking sound. Anyway, that's an aside. I'm okay, just being because he's really oh, well. Anyway, who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty weird because you. It's like there is. Uh, I did write another piece called the the United States of Schizophrenia, where we live in two separate worlds, and we really think inside <clears throat> the alternative excuse me, <clears throat> media world that, that everything's, you know, everybody's waking up and all of that, but there's a whole other huge world out there where nobody's waking up and they're just accepting everything that's happening. And, um, you know, mRNA vaccines, I mean, they're making them for everything. They are building factories everywhere around the world to create uh, vaccines. You know, they're not stopping. That's why I say, you know, if, if, uh, I mean, if it's gonna, if there's, if 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 there's gonna be a big awakening or or whatever you call it, a big change, it's every just the the economy, everything that's based on all of this, everything will just crash and crumble and fall, or you know, it, it's it's not going to be this wonderful thing that's going to happen, or it's going to continue on like this because people, you know, if you look at young people, um, you know, they're accepting, they're accepting you know, uh, tattoos on their skin, they're going, they're accepting, they, they think it's cool to alter their bodies. You know, they're accepting all of these things. And so, um, they're, you know, it, the more the, if you just look at it from the standpoint of, you know, health and safety, the more that people have to take these vaccines, the more vaccines that they take, the more dependent they will become upon them so that they will, people will, in, in that sense, people will have no choice but to continue on this path, you know, as we go forward. So um, you can see people's immune systems. I tell people, buy an old dictionary, you know, because they're, they're changing the definitions yeah, of things. They do. You're not going to even remember what it means to have an immune system. You know, it, that's going to be so passe and so old fashioned. You're going to need all of these drugs in order to just simply maintain your body so that you can then, you know, go and live in the metaverse or whatever. So, so I think all, all of, you know, they're pushing forward as much as we say things are being revealed or what, what have you, all of there, there is not one single, po can you tell me a politician actually who has stood up and made any kind of a difference with ending this madness with these vaccines. I mean, Ron DeSantis did his part to sort of push on, on some stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, I think they, I, there was a series of African and, um, you know, Island, uh, presidents who all got assassinated in very rapid yeah. succession. And yep. that was a, that was your indicator. There's, those were the real guys. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Isn't that weird? And there's, I had, um, I had Tara and Denise from, uh, freedom angels on uh, state of the nation on TNT yesterday. And we were kind of going through, um, how California is now saying, uh, they're removing the, the COVID shot mandate, you know, for schools and, oh, isn't that great? But, you know, when you peel it back, there's nothing in writing, you know what I mean? The California Department of Health hasn't said anything. 
and the way that the 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 regulations and the uh, laws are there now, they can announce they can add anything to the schedule at any point, no matter what. So like if situation changes, whatever. So it's like you hear these things. They're they're the politicians are playing paying lip service to the you know hundreds of millions of people that are aware of this scam now and this danger and what they're trying to do to kids. Uh, so they, they put these things out there, but it's like, they don't have any teeth because they haven't cut to the heart of the matter, which is, uh, this is war and they are killing people with an experimental drug right now and altering the human genome in ways and the, the human sterility pool in, in ways that we are not allowed to know for some stupid reason, you know, because that, which makes it warfare. I'm sorry. That makes it warfare. Yeah. It just does. Oh, you mean I mean, I, when the military is Operation Warp Speed, and you know they're, the military is literally the one doing it, and you know it's like it's, so it's top secret, and we can't know. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's that I mean, would mean it's a it's a product of war. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece like one of my first pieces that I wrote. It's called "Happily Slipping Into Our Straight Jackets," and uh, it's just all about the history of the drug culture in in the United States. I mean, we love our drugs. We consume more drugs than any other country in the world. We, you know, we have a history of, you know, think of all the children that they put that that parents happily put on Ritalin, you know. And I talked to many of these young people. I talked to a young man who, you know, when he became an adult, he said when he found out that his whole, his parents had essentially put him on, you know, cocaine or, you know, I, I mean, that that all the children that we have been drugging on the street or, or, or through the government, they don't care. Either way, it's fine. We, we have a history. We're also, besides New Zealand, we're the only country in the world that, um, that markets directly. Drugs are marketed directly to the public. And, and we consume more drugs than any other country in the world. It makes, nothing makes any sense. If you look at Africa compared to the United States, the United States, the country that is more, that's supposed to be the most advanced in every way, supposedly but we can't trust the pcr test but supposedly more deaths than any place else in the world from COVID, and yet this was a big success has anybody been you know has will fauci ever be you know put in jail or held accountable or any of these people is that what's happening no i mean it's it's madness and yet people somehow you know go along with it because I wrote, I wrote about, there, there's a thing called menticide too, where, you know, th this is something where these way you, you bring waves upon waves of, of fear and disaster. It's like being in an abusive relationship and then you pull it back and you pat everybody on the head and say, oh, you did good. Now we're going to give you some freedom. And then there's another wave that's even bigger. And, and so people, they've never had an opportunity to recover from the previous one. So they're, they become weary. You know, people are weary. They, they, it's impossible to absorb all of this. And so at a certain point, you know, people just, they, they cannot um, consume all of this information that's coming at them, Karen, all of this, the fear. And so they, they just continue on and just become, you know, passive, basically. Exactly that. I literally wrote a Substack article called The Post-Bombshell World. Um, and in the sub, the tag of the, the article is it's time to admit that we're all, all we're exposing is our own impotence. Um, that it is being set up so that there, we are nonstop being 
bombarded with cognitive dissonance, with conflicting truths at the same time. Uh, Anthony Fauci literally comes out and says masks don't work, and then the next week he says they work. And if you believe him, now what the hell are you supposed to say? Even if you even if you believe him, you can't keep a story straight. And so it, it yeah. is about creating the cognitive dissonance to the point where you give up on reality. I think it comes back to the same point about AI. And I, you know, I tell, I say to people, like, there's something called common sense. We're told that we should not trust our own, uh, you know, our own abilities, that, that we have to trust these, these experts. But I say, the minute that Fauci did that, you know, I was raised by my parents. My father was actually a quite a very well-known Christian author in the 1980s, um, Dave Hunt. And I was raised that your word is your bond. You give your word and you stand by your word. Uh, this does not happen anymore, you know. But Fauci, when the minute that that first lie that he told, you everybody should know by their own instinct of what of right and wrong that you cannot trust this person. But we've but you know we've lost that, you know, and they made sure that 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 society really lost that. And so you know that that's sort of what I try to you know, remind people of in my writings, uh, things like that. Yeah. Not, not only have people become weary, um, they've also become hypervigilant. And, uh, part of what this increasing tempo of crisis is meant to produce is what, um, my colleagues and I, in a project that I'm working on both a book and a documentary film, we call it operator syndrome. And what this is, is this is a, a battery of symptoms that is seen in special forces operators on long deployment. Wow. Um, to an extent that even if you're on a fire base, let's say in Afghanistan, and you're never in a combat scenario, there's always the threat of a sniper mm -hmm. or combat or an IED. So your nervous system is constantly telling you that, you know, from the, the standpoint of, uh, of biology, there's a saber-toothed tiger in the grass that could jump out at you at any time. And that creates a situation in the body called high allostatic load. And high allostatic load will get your sympathetic nervous system stuck in a perpetual state of fight or flight, just like blunt force trauma does. When that happens, it does a number of things to the brain. It um, reduces blood flow to the frontal cortex, which means that you lose your executive function entirely. So you're acting only on, on instinct, only on impulse. And it creates extra neural pathways in the brain that are predisposed to overreact to any stimulus because the body is expecting a threat all the time. So if you create this operator syndrome and this sustained high allostatic load, in the entire population, you create the hypervigilance that people then become, uh, they, they get into a state where they're constantly expecting the next crisis, the next crisis. They're going to look outside of themselves for direction and for safety. They're not going to look internally. So they're going to be primed to forget about their own biological abilities to deal with threats in the environment. What, what is that project and, called, by the way? Uh, well, it's called The Invisible Machine. There's a book about it um, that I worked on that's coming out in April of this year. Uh, and there'll be a documentary film coming out two years from now of the same title talking about the same thing. Um, essentially, what we're doing is we're making the case that what we call post-traumatic stress disorder is actually a biological injury to the body. You can see it on functional MRIs. We have all the evidence. Uh, and then the case that I'm kind of going and making to the public is that this is something that can be deployed for very specific ends because of the fact that it reduces the executive function that we all need as human beings in order to exercise discernment in the world.
So I just wanted to add that to what you were saying, Karen, because yeah, I agree that it's it's definitely it's weariness, but it's also a biological injury that people are suffering. Mm. We kind of we kind of flagged that up when when COVID first hit too in the boiler room because we were looking at uh, one of the MIT uh, review articles that came out, and they actually had graphs in there, and they were sort of predicting this like ever flowing sine wave along a timeline of like virus responses and it had all the magic voodoo built into it, the asymptomatic spreading the season and everything. And we're sitting there, all of us in the, uh, in the boiler room, we're looking at it. We're going, well, this just looks like a, like a recipe for trauma based mind control. It's like, sometimes it's going to be high, then it'll dip back down to normal. Then it's going to be high and it's going to tensions are going to be high and then it'll dip back down to normal. And, and you could see it go throughout that. And then you, you put yourself into this mindset that we're talking about right here uh, that Corey just laid out. And you've got a global population that's basically experiencing what I've seen people call the wonderland effect, where it's like your reality is so shook up that you'll do anything to go back to the last place that you could find think of that's normal how do I, like you know to your point terry how do i get out of this burning rabbit hole do i need to go back do i need to say govern me harder daddy government do i need to look turn to technocracy do i need to turn to pills and surgery and you know so it's like it creates this this what you know dissonance in the population and then we're malleable for whatever's next and that's when they come in with the solution i wrote a post recently called um our brains have stopped working right on schedule. And, and it's really about exactly what you were talking about. Uh, the idea that uh, there's a famous well-known thing called uh, thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman talking about um, system one and system two sort of brain function and how, um, you know, you have a part of your brain that's just designed for instinct and for uh, a very loose approximations and good enough sort of thinking just to get you through a, a sudden reaction. But then there's this deep thinking where you actually construct a model of something and you're actually absorbing a lot of little information into a, a coherent, larger narrative. And the, the argument I'm making is that the trauma-based dissonance bombshell parade that we have constantly is there to uh, disrupt that model from ever being complete. And so this is where I think, um, you know, depending on your religion, your your overriding ideology, your philosophy, the research you've done, if you put all of the greatest principles of human nature and and everything together, you can, if you've done that already as an adult, you can create, and we, I'm guessing we've all done that, you know, you all of these things just confirm or it might adjust it, but it's workable in your model of how the world works. You know, when Fauci lies and these things happen, I'm not shocked. I don't get blown away when, when people, when politicians lie, when scientists lie, when, when these things happen, I'm not scandalized because I never had hope that the world was going to tell me the truth and that I could find my, I could trust the experts and stuff like that. But you can see very, I mean, Facebook was just, you know, the, the place to see it um, during the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton and the hype around her and all these things, that people who had no model for how the world really works were just like underwater. They were trying to get up to the surface. What is happening? Why is nothing happening the way I thought it was? Hillary Clinton is losing. 
And now, you know, what is Trump is a Russian disinformation and Russia's controlling America. What's happening? They were becoming just submerged in these different narratives because they didn't have any model already in place. And now they're working from behind. They're trying to catch up, but they have to keep accelerating so that they can't keep keep up. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a pace. You know, a lot of people that, ha- you know, have really given big pieces of themselves, you know, their time, their energy to try to, to build the right context and, and fix all the lies that, you know, we were taught as Gen Xers and Boomer Gens and Millennials. Try, you know, it, it's a years long process and it, it like gets at the foundation of your worldview uh, in the best situation. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe maybe Gareth Ike doesn't have that problem, but you know what I mean? Like no matter how good a job your parents and your society did raising you, we've got so many like pillars in there that we've had to, you know, examine and, and chip away or reform and turn into some form of, you know, art that we can take knowledge and wisdom from hopefully. And, and that context that you're talking about that is required. And, and those people that were told all of a sudden in, you know, April of 2020 that they were inessential, you know, uh, and that their life might be over and that everyone they know might die and that they might make grandma sick or something like that. They all, you know, bought into that and are now trying to come out of that whole thing and realizing that the, the it's just too much. This is this is a body of context and knowledge that some people have been working 50 years for, you know, the people that we've looked up to <clears throat> as as examples coming up, you know, and uh it's just like I I feel sort of sorry for people that are experiencing that overload right now and sort of like, well, a lot of people been telling you for a long time, the voices have gotten louder and louder and louder. And a lot of you, that's why your show works. That's why people watch it. That's why people watch TNT radio. That's why people, I mean, it's people are searching for ways to contextualize things and get their model up to date. And then I'm glad that we can do this and that we can actually try to, you know, help people get up to speed. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh it's it I want to thank everybody here, uh Terry, Karen, Corey, Ruckus, uh Mark and uh Spore and Odd Man Out and um boy, everybody that was here tonight. Um all you out there watching. Uh let me go to Ruckus real quick here. Ruckus, I haven't heard from you in a minute. Um and we've got a lot of links. I'm going to put all the links in the uh show notes for everybody. So all the links we were sharing in the background for context uh, will be on the show page at alternatecurrentradio.com. But uh, yeah, we'll go around the room. We'll shut it down in a minute here. But Ruckus, over to you. Yeah, because I do a lot uh, covering news and talking all day over there at tntradio.live. And you were, I could hear it in your voice. You're starting to lose your voice too. Yeah, I got to save some uh, rounds for tomorrow, man. So yeah. Um, so uh, upon that, of course, make sure you're checking out what we're doing over there, over at tntradio.live. Um, and, um, yeah, you're going to have a, a heck of a time putting the notes together for this one. Actually, this was <laughs> epic. So I want to personally thank Karen Hunt and Terry Wolf for joining us on this one. Yes. And, of course, all the regulars out there who are on tonight, Wandering Wolf, yeah, and, of course, Odd Man Out, Mark Anderson, I don't know what happened to Infidel. He was supposed to be here. Um, sorrow. All right. Well, next, to, yeah, Misty Infidel next week, hopefully. Yep. And um, Spore. And uh, did I miss anybody? I don't think so. No. Uh, oh, man. Shout out to 
Chopper, he was with us in spirit out there in the chat room, as well as everybody in the chat room, all the chat rooms, all the places, doing all the things. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, and, yeah, thanks again, guys, for doing this. And uh, let's do it again, except not anytime soon. How about same time, same place next week? There you all go. Right? Uh, Perfect. May God bless each and every one of you, and may God save this republic. All right. Thanks, Ruckus. All right, you guys. Uh, Karen, over to you. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah, go ahead and get. Yeah, it was a marathon. <laughs> I know it was. We went an hour overtime. I really want to thank you guys for oh, uh, sticking sticking great, with great us. Fun. I'll, I'll love. Me. Yeah, I'll always do overtime if the conversation's spicy, and it has been spicy tonight. I, and I'm with um, Jorge. 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 Yeah. Jorge. I can never say. Anyway, yeah, great. I'm with him. Uh, have been with him a few times. I'm with him tomorrow at I think it's four thirty Pacific time. So. If anyone wants to join in with that, but um, yeah, it's really good fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. They have a live call in line on her voice show. Uh, he joined us last week. That's up on our Rockfin channel and it'll be out on our podcast stream real soon. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Karen. Uh, I'll put a link to your Substack on the show page again, alternatecurrentradio.com for all the oh. links. All right, thanks, Karen. There right. she goes. That's Karen Hunt, everybody. Check her out on Substack. All right, uh, Terry, over to you, man. I uh, really want to thank you for all the time tonight. This has been a productive conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think our listeners will too. Uh, yeah, over to you. Shout out all your links one more time, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll do this again soon, I hope. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I know I dominated the conversation, but um, I, you know, thank you for that. I, winterchristian.substack.com is my, is my blog where I'm doing a lot of my current thinking, if you want to go back and uh, look up my books, uh, I have the Kojima Code. If you're interested in the Metal Gear side of things and that whole thing, there's a sequel to it called The Stealth Game where I even get more into the social commentary of the games because each of them has a different social commentary, uh, some on the Cold War and some on other things. But um, uh, then maybe everyone is wrong Is if you're into the Christian uh, eschatology revelation religious side of things tying that in um people i thought people would absolutely despise this book because it basically goes against it's called maybe everyone is wrong it goes against all major interpretations of revelation that i've ever seen i did all the research i could on it and i walked away very disappointed so i decided to write my own and uh unsurprisingly it's like basically five-star reviews people are absolutely loving it and the, and people have been way more open-minded than i thought and um I am technically still on TikTok. I don't do many videos now, but uh, if you want to just get all of the links, I do have a link tree, and that's the easiest way to find everything at once. Linktr.ee. That's how they spell link tree. Uh, a lot of people are using link tree nowadays. Linktree slash Wolfpox. That's my sort of my tag. My handle is Wolfpox. W-O-L-F-P-O-X. Um, so that's a name that goes back to when I was a kid, but... Um, yeah, Linktree slash Wolfbox, you can find my Discord, Telegram, you know, my YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to hear me do just Bible study lectures and stuff like that, I do that every week um, because uh, I'm at that point. I'm at like, let's literally just go read the Bible and like, <laughs> yeah, like if you want to talk about solutions, like that's where I have ended up. It's like I've, I've done my homework. I've read the books. This is sort of the final stage of let's just actually try to you know, get on that, on that next level. So thank you very much 
I know it went long, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was great to meet you. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. Let's do it again, and uh, I'll be in touch. We'll probably want to get your uh, your take on some of this technocracy stuff on uh, my TNT show with my colleagues over there. Uh, so I'll be in touch with you about you know uh, further conversations we might be able to have because this is again been enlightening productive and uh wow great all right man uh we'll see you next time there he goes everybody that's terry wolf been joining us tonight that leaves me with the wandering wolf wandering wolf man wow wow banger show i'm uh i'm, I'm almost out of record space on everything here i hope i didn't uh overfill the memory on Streamyard. we're right at the edge on that space man but uh yeah over to you get us out of here dude yeah, man. I mean, what an awesome show. And we really pushed this one into the red, which is great. That's, uh, you know, right. Uh, pushing the needles all the way to the end. That's where I like to be. Um, from psychic Orwellianism to what is behind the AI. Um, you know, the only saved rounds that I have for this one that I wanted to share are, you know, in an age of, of memetic warfare, how much of the memetics is conditioning? And how much of it is a sheer response to the sheer amount of volume that we're exposed to all the time? You know, that's that's definitely something worth pondering as we continue to engage with a world that's throwing more and more at us all the time. Um, and it's you know, it often seems that uh, not only will the revolution not be televised, it will be captured and deployed when convenient to the regime. Um, so I yeah. wanted to throw that one out there too. But um, apart from that, man, what an awesome show! Uh, this is a discussion I'm going to be thinking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was fun to be a part of. And um, to everyone out there, thanks for listening and for engaging. And stay grounded. Yeah. I'll see you next time. All right. There he goes. That's Corey Drayton, the Wandering Wolf. Look, thanks, everybody. This has been The Boiler Room, live here for February the 9th, 2023. This one's one for the record books. Again, we crossed that three-hour mark because we had to to take this one all the way home. This is Hesher for everyone in the boiler room, wishing you a great day or night or whatever the heck you are, whenever the heck you are. Maybe you're listening to this 150 years from now. Maybe the Graham Hancock of uh, 150 years from now, dig up my hard drive and remind everybody, hey, that society fell apart, but at least uh, some groups of people gave a fuck. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. Listen up, let me tell you a story. America's favorite new musical is Six. Six is the winner of two Tony Awards and voted Best New Musical on Broadway World and Broadway.com. The New York Times proclaims Six totally rules. And Entertainment Weekly calls Six Broadway's euphoric celebration. Now Six is coming to the Hollywood Pantages Theater for five weeks only starting May 9th. Get tickets at BroadwayandHollywood.com.